Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Thank you all for staying. You may be seated. In today's extra credit, we'll be going over the gear part of our useful magic items and gear episode. Or I should say more specifically, mundane gear, non-magical gear. Your inventory on your character sheet has to be clogged with some kind of useless items, and these are the best of those useless items. <laughs> well, speaking of clogging, we're not going to clog this episode with the everyday stuff, like rations, a bit in bridle if you have a horse, those sort of things. Instead, we're going to focus more on equipment that actually has some sort of mechanical benefit or one that is particularly flavorful. Like with the regular episode, there's some ways that you can parse down gear to find something that could be useful for you. And aside from those tips we already gave before, I wanted to sort of reiterate that if you search your race, you'll find a lot of items that are specific to you. There's even food and drink that will benefit members of a certain race. For example, gnome trail rations give a benefit to gnomes that they won't give to everyone else. So in my list, I had over 1,600 mundane gear, and it is from populated from the same books that our regular episode was. You can go to the show notes to get the list of all these items that we talked about in a nice format with links, cost, as well as the list of books that we had access to. So let's start let's start this long episode off, Christian. Are you ready? I think so. I, I parsed through the list. I went through all these items. I think it was a little bit easier than the magic items because I could look at the name of something and kind of infer what it does versus the magic items where I have no idea what the Cyclops helm does. Really, Christian, you didn't have an idea what the Boots of Speed did? Well, they're you not all that, that straightforward. Up. Sometimes they're like the mystical <laughs> occult tome of old Talrajal. And it's like, hmm, I don't know who any of those are. Really, the, the belt of giant strength was confusing. It doesn't change my huh. size, does it, Caleb? It's a misnomer. <laughs> I thought it did, and now that I read that, I realized it didn't. I would have cheated. Are you welcome? So the first thing I want to go over are kits. Each class has a kit that'll have a couple of basic items. Usually level one adventurers will grab this. I guess some other lower level might as well. So for example, the bard's kit includes a backpack, a bedroll, a belt patch, a common musical instrument, a flint and steel, ink, an ink pen, an iron pot, a journal, a mess kit, a mirror, rope, soap, torches, trail rations, and a water skin, all for 41 gold, which all those things individually would amount to more than 41 gold. Every class kit has a very similar suite of items, and then they have one or two that deviate for that specific class. So the bard has something like an instrument, the cleric is going to have something like a holy symbol, and anointing oils in their kits. And there's a few other specific kits, like a vampire slayer's kit, that'll have things that you would imagine. Like, for the vampire, has like a wooden stake and a holy symbol or something. Next, I want to talk about spell books. Uh, it is, where's ultimate? In Ultimate Magic, they introduced a bunch of pre-made spell books, which make for amazing loot drops for your casters. A lot of times it can be pretty easy to come up with one for your fighter. Oh, my fighter's a two-handed fighter. I leave him a magical greatsword. Oh, my cleric's using a, a mace. I'm going to give him a special mace or a rod that acts as a mace. But what do you give your spell casters? Give them spell books. There's a lot of rules for about moving spells from spell books into your spell book. And it's great to not have to create it yourself as a GM. It could be an insane amount of work. So there you go. Spell books. Leave this on dead spell casters. Because you kill the wizard, he's going to have a spell book, right? Well, there you go. Now you got it all pre-made for you and ready. And there's also formula books for alchemists. But let's get into the main category. Remember how slotless was the biggest category in our magic episode? This will probably be the biggest category here. And it's called adventuring gear. I added the, 
I want to talk about the Blue Book. The Blue Book is a little book that talks about seedy places of entertainment in a major city. This means brothels, burlesque houses, gambling halls, that sort of thing. And if you use it, you get a plus two bonus on knowledge, local, bluff, and diplomacy checks to gather information to use in that city. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? This is only five gold pieces to have the location of all sorts of interesting places. You can expand that past brothels if you don't want to play that kind of game, which I usually don't, to be other interesting seedy things in a city. For five gold, what a flavorful item. Books are a common adventuring gear. There's a lot that you can read and they confer some sort of benefit to you. One I want to bring up is the Book of Puzzles. It is actually just a little book of like mental puzzles that test the mind and stir the intellect. Solving puzzles has a little intelligence check associated with it with how long it takes. But once you solve one of these puzzles for the next 24 hours, you can choose to roll twice on a single disabled device, knowledge, or a sense motive skill check, and take the higher result. I think this is a really cool thematic item. I think mechanically this is really interesting because while the wizard is preparing his spells, non-casting classes are kind of just sitting around and don't have much to do, so the fighter could pick up something like a book of puzzles and have this little extra boost to whatever this book is about. Artificial Gills is the fantasy version of scuba gear. You uh, have a, a mask you put on, it connects to a backpack, and you pump water through it, and it allows you to breathe underwater for about an hour, unless it's murky or otherwise disgusting water which the time is shorter then you clean it it's not a throwaway item you just clean it and you can use it again the astrolabe is in particular interesting because it, all it does is like oh look this is stuff with the sky and oh amazing stars and stuff what is interesting about it is when you use an astrolabe you can make a survival check using your intelligence modifier instead of your wisdom modifier to avoid becoming lost I think it's really interesting when you change what skills are modified by I'd love to see more items like this yeah, there's a couple traits that do stuff like that. I know there's traits that allow you to use your intellect instead of your charisma for things like intimidate. I didn't know the existence of the item. Well, I knew astrolabes were a thing, or however they're pronounced. I'm going to throw that on a few characters now. There's a book lariat for spellcasters if you, or alchemists. If you have a spellbook, you can latch this braided metal cord to your spellbook. It's kind of like a weapon cord for your spellbook. It's attached to your belt. If you drop it, it's still on the chain, and it's only a standard action to recover it. Listen, for three silver pieces, uh, any an additional way to secure your spellbook, which we talked about earlier, can end up being very, 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 very valuable cost-wise, not even to mention being able to actually cast your spells and stuff. Especially good defense against jerk GMs that you're unfamiliar with that are going to try to steal your spellbook. And you'd be like, uh, 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 it's on a chain. <laughs> Listen, I'm walking down. I got baggy pants. They also have a lot of, there's a, these are cargo pants. There's a lot of pockets and I got the chain wallet. It's just I got my trip pants on, my giant goth trip pants, and I got a spellbook in each pocket attached to all my chains. There are various lanterns and I like this. I like the idea that there's just something about having like a hooded lantern or a dark light lantern or a bullseye lantern that makes it a little more interesting than use than just, okay, it's a circle around you. I like the idea of, okay, well now it's a cone in front of you, or now you are bringing the light level down a step, which I think is what dark light lanterns do. That's really cool. I like the idea of, you know, a lantern exhuming darkness instead of light. There is the mithril cauldron. Uh, it's one gold. I don't care about what it does. There's only one thing that it does that's important, and that is that it sets a precedent. <laughs> You ready for this? A mithril cauldron is lighter and food rarely sticks to it. Official canon, mithril's Teflon. <laughs> mithril is the non-stick metal. 
Make sure Amazing. <laughs> when you're stirring your mithril cauldron, don't use any sharp implements. You might scratch the Teflon. There's a cot and there's a hammock. Listen, everyone has a bedroll. You start out in your basic kits. But to get the cot or the hammock, it's just a really nice way to sort of role play, especially in early game when you're sleeping outside a lot. Everyone, <laughs> Everyone's out there. They'll get their bedrolls and they look at you. What are you doing? Oh, I'm strapping uh, my hammock to these two trees. And there you are up off the ground. And if you're GM smart, I'll have like bugs or something bite one guy. And it'll just be funny. You can. It's something for like one silver piece for a hammock or one, I think, gold piece for a cot up off the ground. You can have a little bit of a fun role playing moment. It's it's because these are so cheap. You can pay one gold to have a single interaction. That's funny. You won't be making the cot joke every time. If your character ever loses their teeth, you can buy false teeth. They come in a number of varieties. You can have common false teeth, masterwork false teeth. You can even have clockwork false teeth, which are just little novelties that you wind up and they move around clattering. Great. So now I can do the gags like like the Joker in the Batman movie. Punch me in the face. I throw out my my clockwork teeth. (laughs) And heck, the clockwork teeth move forward at a rate of five feet per round for 10 rounds. You can use it to deactivate traps. Great. Great. We've had a good use. (laughs) These items are all very cheap, by the way. Most gear are going to be pretty cheap. Yeah, like they they cap out the upper end usually around 100, 150 gold, but most are within like the five to 50 gold range. The filter hood, it's like a gas mask, a little short-lived, because there's like a filter that you got to replace and stuff, but it's good to have a gas mask. I like the visual of gas masks on creepy characters. There's a bunch of folding and collapsible items. There's a collapsible bathtub, the folding chair, the folding table, the folding ladder. These are all good things to take if you're out adventuring in the in the wilderness. Be able to set up a chair and tables can be, you know, all of a sudden now you're having your Final Fantasy 15 moments that maybe you wouldn't have had as easily before. If you're playing an intrigue campaign or you're just someone that likes to have a secret, there is a lot of items that have hidden compartments or false bottoms or some little secret cache to store items. You have things like a hollow book. You have a pocketed scarf. You have a cane that is hollowed out. And each have varying perception checks required to notice this false or hidden compartment. There's a bunch of ways to have holy symbols. You can make them out of a variety of metals. And one of the really interesting ones is that you can have a tattoo holy symbol. I really think that's very flavorful. I rip off my shirt. You see a whole cross on my chest. I'm ready. I'm going to cast my divine spells at you. So you see these pecs ripple. Ripple with righteousness. You have to explain to everyone that sees your tanker tattoo that you're not an alcoholic. You just worship Kalian. So so maybe you are an alcoholic, (laughs) but in a good way. It's a healthy, holy, divine way. Yes, there's a lot of healthy alcoholics. What are you talking about, Christian? If you're ever worried about your vials holding your important potions breaking, well, you could buy one that's made out of iron. And it's only one silver piece. A lot of GMs like shattering your potions. I know I've done it. I think most people consider that a jerk move, Caleb. Well, that was the final battle. <laughs> a mirror ball. It's 100 gold, and it's a sphere that you kind of roll into a room, and everyone needs to make a DC 10 perception check, and it allows you to like look around corners and check rooms for stuff. Mock armor. This one's fantastic because it allows you to get the perfect art for your character. If you got art for a character that's in armor of any kind in your that your character can't wear because they don't have the right proficiencies, doesn't matter. Get mock armor. For 90 gold, you have armor that is made out of wood, I think. Uh, made from leather and thin wood. It's designed to be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a caster, but I'm pretending to be a knight because casters are hunted in this town. Who cares about that? I want to get my art, and this what lets me do that. Without any penalties, I'm not wearing armor for anything. Great. Fantastic. As the name would suggest, it doesn't confer any kind of bonus to your AC. It can't be enchanted. But it also has none of the negatives associated with actually wearing armor. 
obol. Obols are small silver or gold coins that are blessed by a priest or a god of war or death. These are coins you put on corpses after a battle. You can put them like one over each eye and mouth. You, the, this is like the traditional, you put it over, they get over the river sticks, except without that lore behind it. I also think of it as like the death dealing cards that um, Kilgore did in Apocalypse Now. You just put them on the dead bodies after battle. If you're someone that likes to use poison, there is plenty of mundane gear that facilitate you being a sneaky poisoning scoundrel. Poison lip paint is a very sensual way to apply your poison. You, you either drink an antidote first or you apply a base to your lips so that the poison doesn't affect you. Put the poison on your lips and then you can deliver contact poisons by kissing someone's skin or ingested poisons by kissing them on the lips. There's also a poisoning sheath, which is just a scabbard that has uh, strips of sponge on its interior that you can pour poison into, and then the first time you draw the weapon, it is now doused in the poison, rather than you having to douse it yourself. Shield sconce for one gold. You can put the torch on your shield instead of having to use one of your hands. This is great for exploring dungeons and stuff, even at higher levels, if you don't happen to have spells or don't want to waste any spells and light. Boop, put a torch in your shield, still have the sword. And of course, there's always plenty of magical torches. You don't need to have just a mundane torch. And there's plenty of magical items. There's probably like a glowing crystal you found somewhere that you can shove in your shield scone. I thought it was something completely different when I was looking at this item. I was was looking for some flavorful food items (laughs) and just very disappointed. (laughs) Did I ever tell you (laughs) how bad I wanted pastries at my wedding and I was told it was impossible? Why was it not possible? I wanted... (laughs) Why couldn't it happen? It it was. It's just that... You know what was impossible? Working my mother-in-law. That's what was impossible. I wanted scones. I wanted these sort of things. Didn't get them. Told it was impossible. Oh, okay. All right. You know, there's there's this thing... You can't do much about it because, like, where I am, where where I'm from, with the culture, the, the, the parents pay for the wedding they're putting on the party for you so that's kind of like their little trump card that's the card they can play from the bottom of the deck it's filthy to play it but they'll play it all the time if they're that kind of person so we get to make the decisions all right okay okay how about you know what how about you just give us that ten thousand dollars maybe that would make a difference in our lives but i don't i don't hold a grudge as you can but tell why scones what, what what grudge do they hold against scones and pastries but that's fine hey you know why should you have things that you want at your own wedding? Soap. Soap is funny because of the description alone. Most soap is made from animal fat and lye derived from ashes. I thought lye decomposes bodies. You can use this thick block of soap to scrub clothes, pots, linens, adventurers, or anything else that might be dirty. <laughs> Combine this with your collapsible bathtubs to have good role-playing moments. One of my players once did something akin to that he had like a collapsible bathtub he had been not necessarily royalty but was someone from a somewhat higher standing so he would commonly whenever he got a chance break down the bathtub and take a shower that's fun it allows you to add little for very cheap adds character things that you can do to put forth something that's a little more interesting or has some a little interesting quirk oh i always carry around perfumes i always make sure to keep up the best hygiene even even an underground vault full of dead people a swarm suit is actually a pretty interesting item that can come into play if your gm is using swarms or you're visiting an area and bugs are a problem think of it kind of like a beekeeper outfit it's overlapping layers of clothes it's got netting and protection against bugs it Gives you DR against swarms of certain creature size. So it gives you DR 10 against fine swarms, and it gives you DR 5 against diminutive swarms, but it does cut your movement speed in half. There's not a lot of tools for fighting uh, swarms outside of 
you know, splash spells and splash attacks, this is one of the ones available to you, one of the tools. The wing sheath, it is something you fold your wings into to hide that you have wings at any point you want to disguise that you are not your race, that you don't have wings. This is the item for you. Backpacks are a pretty mundane item. We're mentioning them, though, because there's actually many different types of backpacks that confer different bonuses. So you can get a masterwork backpack, and it actually adds plus one to your strength score for determining what you can carry. If you like to strap creatures in your backpack, there's a carrier backpack, which can hold a tiny, a smaller creature, or if you have rescued a baby that you guys need to now keep take care of or a bunch of baby kittens <laughs> you can get a hydration backpack which is just what are they called camel camelbacks i believe you as a outdoorsman myself as i like to pride myself i, I do know what you're talking about. right over here next to my dresser i haven't used it yet but they're fun they're it's, a, it's like a bladder that this bladder is such a weird word it's a plastic bladder that you can put in <laughs> <laughs> your liquids in christian what do you you know what i'm glad i'm not i don't go outside what is this time about bladder i have to fill the bladder Camel and humps. then drink no, from uh, it enough all right gr- stop gross okay next one caltrops caltrops we've mentioned a lot of times that we don't use them enough they're a great tool for giving your players if they're in a holdout encounter or to m- alter the battlefield uh, to make your battlefield interesting for an encounter. It reduces people's move speed by half if they step on them and fail a save. And it lasts for a long time unless you get it fixed. I, I Every time I see them, I go, man, I could, I could really help flush out my encounters if I use them and then forget about them completely. If your character is a bad swimmer, you can get a cork vest. There's rules with it, but basically it is a cheesy looking vest filled with cork and it stops you from drowning or at least makes it much more difficult for you to drown it makes you a little bit more buoyant which it says it can be worn under armor so i just really like the visual of like a big strong character that can't swim so they have this nerdy like fishing dad vest underneath their armor did you ever go to summer camp when you were i don't believe so okay well then you're gonna find this really identifiable in summer camp they teach you how to swim if you don't know how to swim if you know how to swim there's lots of opportunities to swim but how come whenever you have to go like on a banana boat or something they always make you wear those vests those life vests i know how to swim you freaking spent five hours teaching me how to swim or five days or whatever the heck why i don't get it why why I know how to swim. I get it. All right. I'm not like some freaking 30 year old man that doesn't know how to swim. Okay. I live on the shore a lot of my life. I can swim. I get it. Well, it also helps if you fall unconscious. So if you, you fall into the water, knock your head on something and fall unconscious, well, now you're floating. You know, all that stuff in the middle of an empty lake. On the side of the on. boat. It's called a banana boat, Christian. Does that sound <laughs> dangerous to you? <laughs> this boat bruises like a banana. <laughs> The, the boat thing's going to be damaged. <laughs> we should put a life vest on that. When I lived in upstate New York, freaking we found opportunities to swim. We had a pond, all right? We had we had rivers, all right? A river freaking, I walked down to the river from my house, okay? The pond, my mom. <laughs> my mom is from Jersey, right? She lived in Jersey most of her life. And then when she married my dad, he, to become a pastor, had to move around different places for education and then for the pastor jobs. Some of those places were like Iowa, which my parents now call freaking Iowa because it was cold all the time. Freaking everything was cold all the time. Snow, it's the worst. They go to all these places. They go all these places where there's nowhere to freaking swim. So when we're in upstate New York, where my dad spent, I think, the longest amount of time being a pastor, uh, there she was like, I'm having my beach. So there was this pond uh, owned by one of her friends. And they've swam in it for years. They dye it so nothing grows in it. And 
you swim in it and it's a lot of fun especially because you're under farm everyone taking showers having that many kits they have a lot of kits taking showers is a nightmare after work so they would all just jump in the pond throw some shampoo some soap and clean yourselves that way and it was so great she wanted a beach so bad she bought like a ton or two tons of sand and just dumped it on the shore of that pond stuck a little sign that said mary ellen's (laughs) beach and she bring beach chairs and things there and it was her little beach away from jersey in upstate new york was it by lake george lake george those the finger lakes are not the only lakes in new york (laughs) well they're the only ones i know caleb the crowbar crowbar it's a simple item gives you plus two bonus on strength checks made to open a door or chest a lot of these items you'll find like okay who cares about a plus two bonus well a lot of them are very helpful for lower level characters and whenever you're told to make a ability based check from your GM, it's always like, all right, first off, you know that there's most of these skills are ability-based. Or, okay, fine, I'll make a strength-based check. And sometimes it's legitimate, like forcing open a door. Those are very hard to get high modifiers on. We all know how hard it is to get your booster ability scores up very high. So to get a plus two circumstance bonus on your strength, that's getting four free ability points. That's really hard to come around. So to two gold, to get your four ability points for opening up doors or forcing anything open, I mean, that's actually really valuable to any level character. And just a, just a little tip, a little GM tip for, I know a lot of GMs, they don't want to look up, don't want to waste time looking up all the DCs for everything, so they'll, they'll follow the basic 5 easy, 10 difficult, 15 very difficult, I'm sorry, 5 easy, 10 normal, 15 difficult, 20 extraordinarily difficult sort of impro- improv thing. Don't follow that for plain ability checks. Because those modifiers are always very, very low. Bump that down a little bit, okay? If you're going to make your guy make a straight int check, move those DCs down a little bit. Earplugs are very useful. They give you a plus two circumstance bonus on saves against effects that require hearing, but they also give you a minus five penalty on hearing-based perception checks. Christian, did you know you're doing earplugs wrong? I don't wear them, but in lane me. You've never, you've never worn I earplugs? I like once in college for a little bit because the dorms are too noisy. Like, because I worked, it's annoying, but just because people were bothering you, that's great. Earplugs for my whole life, and I've had lots of opportunity at work to have to use them. I just, you know, you shove them in your ear and they're done. And then when I had to, I worked at a place that was very fancy and had like freaking little classes for everything. Oh, were you going to work at the forklift? Take a class, okay, that makes sense. Oh, are you gonna use earplugs? Take class. Um, okay, 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 fine. All right. Oh, are you going to be in this side of the room? Take a class. I mean, I don't really need you to do anything. Are you on the computers at all? Use this class. All right, fine. I'll take the class. So for the freaking earplug class, they showed us how to do earplugs. And I'm like, I needed this class my whole life. What have I been doing wrong? You don't just shove them in your ear. You twist them and then shove them so deep in your ear that they don't stick out at all. That way then they expand and fill up your ear canal. What? Doesn't it? Isn't that on the what instructions the? of the box, Caleb? Probably. I never did it. If you look at almost everyone I've ever seen use earplugs, they're sticking out a little bit because you just shove them in and, hey, they're good. No, you twist them. You you put them deep inside that canal. <laughs> right up in you. I don't like the way you're describing <laughs> these earplugs. What? I'm just saying. Just saying you take the plug and they fill your ear hole. And then they expand in your ear hole. So, you, so you know, they fill up. What? For only 110 gold, you can get an ever-burning torch. This is just a torch with a continual flame spell on it, meaning it sheds like like a torch, except it doesn't actually burn. You can't set things on fire and it doesn't emit heat. So you can just like shove it in your bag and have it there and just pull it out whenever. And you're, you can never have your GM be like, oh, it's too damp to strike a spark with your flint and steel to make your torch go. The grappling hook or a grappling arrow 
doesn't take a lot of explanation. Sometimes you need to climb up surfaces that climb checks would be impossible on. This is your tool for that. Always make sure you have a set of manacles on your character, especially if you're in a... Actively on your character. <laughs> Equipped. Especially if you're in a investigation cop-based campaign like we were, and none of us had manacles to restrain the creatures that we didn't kill. And there's a couple different versions of Note. The myth, the masterwork ones are, are not so much more expensive than the normal ones. The mithril ones are 2,015 gold. Yikes. Going back to our sneaky-deaky poisoner, you can get a poison pill ring. This is just a ring with a tiny hidden compartment that it can be used to hold a poison. It is a move action to open and close the, the clasp that holds the poison. And it requires a DC 20 slate of hand check to do that successfully. So make sure you have good ranks in that skill if you want to use this. Otherwise, you're going to be fumbling with your ring trying to poison the mayor. And they're going to be like, hey, what are you doing over there? Nothing, just, you know, um, resize. I th Purification pellet purifies water. If anyone's watched Naked and Afraid and those other shows, you'll know how difficult it is to get freaking clean water. This will do it for you. And if the water is, like, especially diseased or poisonous, it'll help you with your DC, DC save against it. It won't completely negate the poison or disease. Signal whistles are always a useful thing to have. The whistle could be heard up to a quarter mile away, and then there's rules on perception checks for how much a signal whistle could be heard easily from up to a quarter mile away, and then for every quarter mile beyond, it's a little bit more difficult to hear. There's also versions of the signal whistle that only certain animals can hear, like a dog whistle. There's rope and chain that have an infinite number of uses, but there's also better versions of them. Silk rope, which is stronger, and there's mithril chain, which also is better than normal chain, though it's a lot more expensive. It goes from 30 gold to 530 gold for 50 feet of chain, I think. No, 10 feet of chain. Yikes. But it's good if you want to tie down a giant, you're going to need the mithril chain instead of the regular. That's where you have to do some advanced math to figure out how much chain you're going to need to wrap around this two-ton giant. <laughs> But honestly, I mean, Christian, especially in any low-level campaign, but really in all levels of campaigns, how many times have your players found more uses for ropes and chains? Ropes and chains, like, I don't know what it is about just a strip of something that people can get so creative with. Spend so much time just trying to figure out, like, well, what can I do with it? How can I make this Rube Goldberg machine of a plant of mine work out using this rope and chain? Is your friend falling a distance that will kill him? Shoot him in the leg with an <laughs> arrow that has a rope connected to it, Christian. <laughs> it was gonna work, okay? The skeleton key is one of my favorite pieces of mundane gear. For 85 gold, you have this key that's kind of like a base version of a key it sometimes it's just lucky enough that a lock is so generic that this key opens it up you can use a skeleton key on a door and it makes a disable device check with a plus 10 bonus that it can't take a 10 on and i think good locks are well done locks are up to a dc 30 so every once in a while you're gonna get lucky and open up a door i, I know i used this in trailblazer season two to open up a door on a roof at one point that i'm not sure if caleb was expecting us to go in i knew about this item and i love this item as well i i've i've had this on almost every one of my characters and when you got it i'm like that's my shtick what are you doing Christian? I'm, I'm i'm the one that knew about this mm. it's a great item there's not many items that say you don't need to point any points in your skill because this will take care of it most of the time and that's the way, if anyone's actually ever used a skeleton key, it's very true to life. Many skeleton keys will just fit into others because they're just so very similarly designed. I mean, even now, there's like a certain number of types of keys that will fit into it. It just won't turn because it won't have the right, you know, teeth to move the pins. But skeleton keys don't work with teeth. They just work with moving a latch, especially at least the simple ones. So as long as you could get it in, a lot of times it would work. A weapon cord. This is an item 
that was uh, used a lot back in the day before it got nerfed. It allowed you to drop your weapon, but it still was attached to your wrist, and you grab it up for a very minor action. And they made that action increase now. So now the action is a move action to recover it. I guess it must have been a free action or swift action before. So if you're disarmed or need to drop it to do some weird action economy thing with different multiple weapons, uh, you have this, though it's not as good as it used to be. Whetstones are something else in the realm of the books I mentioned earlier that martial characters can do while spellcasters are preparing their spells. Whetstone is just a stone used to sharpen a blade. If you sharpen a blade for 15 minutes, you give that weapon a plus one bonus on its first damage roll. And if you want to get cheesy, you can technically do this to all your arrows and have a bunch of arrows that do plus one damage. Rishis and spring-loaded Rishis are items that I almost put on every character. I think every character has reason to have one of these. It is just a hidden compartment in your sleeve that you could put a dagger-sized item, so a wand, a dagger that is poisoned with something, let's say, a wand, really anything, a scroll. The spring-loaded one is particularly good because it makes grabbing the item a swift action, so as long as you're using an item or weapon that fits within the wrist sheath, you can now draw it, basically getting quick draw for free. A doctor's outfit. Literally just don this outfit for 150 gold and you get a plus two bonus on fortitude saves made to resist contact diseases. You're not usually wearing anything, you know, important that's giving you any effect anyway. Your clothes aren't part of, like, an armor slot or anything, so hey, why not? I also like the idea that you're smarter just because, just because you're wearing the clothes. <laughs> Does anyone here a doctor? I'm wearing his clothes. <laughs> Thank goodness, sir. Toss glove. The toss glove is a goblin item. The goblin items are the best items. A toss glove is a hefty leather and metal glove made for holding and throwing insects, snakes, or other tiny creatures that would otherwise bite the goblin. If you aren't using a toss glove when attempting to throw a creature, as previously mentioned, you invoke an attack of opportunity from them. You can't use the hand wearing a toss glove for fine manipulation, such as disable device checks. You could still wield melee weapons with it. I just love the idea of a goblin. Just having a row of goblins, some of them with the toss glove, some of them without the toss glove, all throwing snakes and bugs and half of them getting bit. And then they fight over who gets to use the toss glove. If you're ever in a campaign that crosses Arctic terrain, you can buy ice skates and you can buy skis, which have certain rules for exactly how they work. The ice skates are interesting because they allow you to move on ice at normal speed, specifically able to make run and charge checks. Or I just like the idea of carrying on a character and everyone being like, what are those? Like, why are you carrying these around? Skis uh, list that when you're moving up a snowy slope, you move at half speed. Skis note that your speed is halved when you're moving up a snowy slope, but you may run or charge downhill on a gentle or steep snowy slope at quadruple speed. So there's like mini game rules involving skis and ice skates I never knew that I wanted to use. I now officially need to have a ice skating or ski chase scene in one of my games. All right, let's go to the tools and skill kits option. Why skill kits weren't combined with kits? Uh, it's Caleb's fault. I'm just using the categories that are in Hero Lab, and they separated them, so now I'm separating them. Take that. I can cover skill kits. There's only one that we're really going to talk about. We're just going to let you know they exist, like how there were kits for your your class or for, like, vampire slaying, you know, that sort of thing. There are a lot of skill kits. For example, there's a tanner's kit. If you're a tanner, there's a bunch of items that you'll need to be a tanner. You can buy them all in a kit. Various skills have kits there you done got one. i really like bottled sunlight it's a jar that you can shake to activate and once shaken it sheds light like a sunrod for six hours you can then throw it if you wish 
And then once it hits and breaks open, there's now a 30-foot burst of what is considered natural sunlight. It's very rare that things count as natural sunlight. Matters a lot for things like vampires care whether light is natural sunlight or not. The Goran race cares whether or not they are within natural sunlight. There's a bunch of dumb rules about having this the proper tools to make your skill checks. I think the one most people know about is disable device. You need like a lockpicking kit or something like that. But there's some weird rules that aren't especially clear for the heal check and other skills. So one of the things you can get is ours and tools that will give you the ability to pursue a craft. And rules is written, without them, you get a minus two penalty on craft checks. I don't know who really ever thinks about this, but it is there and it's rules is written, so it's important to note. You can get masterwork tools, which not only allow you to do it without the minus two, but then will also give you a plus two. I don't know, it's just such a weird, silly thing. It was like they sort of half decided, we're going to go hardcore into, you got to have the gear on your sheet to make sense. If you don't have a bedroll on your sheet, if you didn't specifically tell me you spent the three gold or whatever the heck it is for a bedroll, then no, you're sleeping on the ground, and then there's all these penalties for sleeping on the ground. What, can't we just assume? And then at some point, they're just like, you know what, whatever, I don't care anymore. So then there's the Alchemist Lab, which if you're just looking at... What it does mechanically gives you a plus two bonus on craft alchemy checks. Didn't we just say the artisan tools masterwork did that? Okay, whatever. Because of this like confusion, it specifically says it has no bearing on the cost related to the craft alchemy skill. Without this lab, a character with the craft alchemy skill still assumed to have enough tools to use the skill, but not enough to get the plus two bonus that the lab provides. Like they had to go out of their way to say that it doesn't work the way the rest of the craft things work, even though that was never mentioned. Pathfinder, please! But it's there. There you go. And are you saying I can carry this around with me? I just want well, there, there is a portable alchemist <laughs> lab, specifically. Oh, gotcha. It's much more expensive. It's three. Oh, false. It's much cheaper. Portable? It's 300. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hear that must be wrong. Portable alchemist lab, 75 oh, gold. That's weird. You know, it probably got updated. Uh, a lot of times, uh, Pathfinder, they'll make changes. It's sort of like patchy in game. And the way they do that is they'll print maybe the same thing, but with updated information. And you always use the new one. That's how they, um, a lot of times, do nerfs. Other times, they'll use errata like they did with the, uh, what was the headband of? The Jin Saga, the Fortune Soldier? Yeah, that, correct. The, the, that thing. That was errated how they nerfed it. But I think this has multiple printings. Here I see Advanced Player's Guide Adventures Armory and Ultimate Equipment. So I bet in Ultimate Equipment it was expensive and then they reduced it down in Adventures Armory. But never did that with the normal Alchemist mm, I Lab. It was, the, the point is they went ar- they went all a roundabout long way to make Christian wrong and I can get behind <laughs> that. Parasol. This is an umbrella. And it is not waterproof. That's in the first sentence. Mm, okay. Okay, great. It's translucent. Okay. <laughs> really reasons I can think of using a umbrella for light and water. Uh, but it does, it acts kind of like a car's windshield. It cuts down on the heat from direct sunlight. Which did you know your windshield has more SPF than your uh, most suntan lotions? In very hot conditions, when the sun is a factor, it gives you plus and bonus on your hourly fortitude saves against heat. And it just works with heat in different ways like that. What is interesting is that, like, I don't know who who would want to make it out of translucent yeah, paper. Yeah, I feel like that's so much more difficult than using literally anything that exists in the natural world that's <laughs> not translucent, which is most everything. In a world where dragons exist, I would like to be able to look up at any given Okay, time. make it translucent, but can't can right. I just put paint on top of it? Can I just dip it in a paint bucket? There we go. It's a real umbrella now. Another goblin item, the pickle extractor. Pickle extractor is just a spike stuck through the end of a stick. Mainly used by goblins to grab things at the bottom of a barrel. Really useful for your small-sized creatures. 
I think this is a core piece of equipment you should have on your character sheet. Any character sheet, really. <laughs> who, who knows when you'll need to extract pickles? It's at times like this, I heavily consider getting a different host. <laughs> like, that, I really, deep down, I go, you know, a lot of our fans are really nice people that could do Christian's job without ever mentioning the pickle extractor to me in my face during a recorded session. Alas, what could have been. I know, it makes you feel inadequate, Caleb, that you don't find things like pickle extractor. <laughs> Do I not find them or do I find them, vomit, and then erase it from my memory? <laughs> you know, and what you can do extractor. is you can use the pickle extractor to pull anything out of that vomit that you don't want to touch. Uh, oh, I, I know what I want to extract <laughs> from this episode. It creates and solves your problems. Let's go over some animal gear. The first one I'm talking about, just because it's the weirdest thing that's ever been a thing, the aquarium ball. It's essentially a thing for you to put your little fishies in. Oh, look, it's got two gallons of fresh water or salt water. You can have your little fish. Oh, you got your house like a little aquatic creature. Adorable. I want to have a little pet frog. Listen, my familiar's a frog. I want him to be comfortable. Yeah, guess what? The water in the orb must be changed daily in order to keep the creatures within alive. Otherwise, the inhabitants begin to slowly suffocate. See page 445 of the Pathfinder Core Rulebook. Why are the rules for suffocating my animal companions? <laughs> I actually like the idea of someone having like a goldfish and you have to like go into the underdark cave and they're like, but what do I do about, <laughs> what do I do about Goldie? Like, this is, this is paying 80 gold to make you have to do something every day. Otherwise your GM will punish you. I hate this. <laughs> we used to have a, a fish. We had a, it's, it's like a half bowl. You'd hang it on the wall, like a picture frame. It was just like a different place to put your fish instead of in a bowl on top of a shelf or whatever the heck. And we had somebody house it for us. When we came back, the fish was gone. And inside the fishbowl was a puffer fish that had gone out to huge thing. But we didn't discover it for like a day. And we're like, what is that smell? We go back to see this ugly puffer fish. That started a war. An absolute war where every they would they would house sit for each other, and each time they would do worse and worse things. At first, oh, just the fish. Haha. The next time, every furniture that was on the second floor is now on the first floor, and every piece of furniture on the first floor is on the second floor. Have fun fixing that. The next time, all your pictures are reversed. It's just it was it just escalated and escalated. To provide an example of escalation, I should have started with the pictures and then went to the furniture. I was about to say who, who just casually moves furniture. Furniture's hard to move. Were they by themselves? They would have had to like. Oh, it's not casual. I'm telling you, this got involved. <laughs> like he would have to have a they crack had to invite team. Other people to come help them. Like prank a crack us. team of furniture movers, a truck, <laughs> like pulleys and levers to move furniture from one level to another. That's so intense. That'd be that'd be frightening. If I came home to that, like you, you have so much disdain for me. You you moved my house without moving me to a new house. <laughs> My parents had young kids at that point, so it's like we come home and it's like, what happened to Goldie? We're looking at this giant puffer fish. We don't understand what's <laughs> happening. Scarred me for life, poor Goldie. You could purchase hide dye for your animals, which as they sound just are ways to color and make your animal command look pretty and fit the art you found online. But they do also confer some benefits. They are usually associated with a terrain and the animal companion gets a plus two circumstance bonus on stealth checks in whatever terrain that the paint is associated with. Oh, I just wanted to paint it different colors like they did in Wizard of Oz. Tell me you've seen Wizard I was of like Oz, four. Christian! I don't remember something about monkeys and boots. Magical boots you clink together. <laughs> You're thinking of Dora the Explorer! <laughs> no, the glass slippers. 
Oh my goodness. Did you know that? And glass slippers, also known as the boots. <laughs> a little a little macabre fact was that to dye the horses they used jello and they had they they had to keep stopping the horses from licking each other cuz they were eating the jello. Hey, you know what? Jello's made out of horse oh. products. That's disgusting. Stop. What are you doing? Wizard of Oz. There's a lot of very bad stories about what happened on that set. I feel like that's most movie sets pre-1980s. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of different kind of saddles you can get. Uh, just as a, for an example, you can get a military saddle, which give you a plus two bonus on ride checks to staying in your saddle. And if you get knocked unconscious while in it, you get a 75% chance to stay in the saddle. That's cool. 20 gold, throw it on your horse. It's A lot of these items are small little bonuses that don't even cost that much, so why not? If you want your animal companion to join in on your sneaky poisoning games, you can buy poison caps, put poison on these caps, you put these caps on their fangs, when they bite something, they release the poison into that person. So it's just a means of giving creatures bite attacks poison. Which, weirdly enough, you would end up having to use this animal gear if you had a bite attack to poison your enemies. The barbarian goes into Petsmark, shopping for himself. If you are following the animal companion tricks and training rules, you can buy a training sleeve, which is, you know, what cops use to train cop dogs. It's a big, heavy padded sleeve you put over your arm to train an animal how to attack people, giving you a plus five bonus to your handle animal checks to combat train an animal. Which I like how it doesn't, it doesn't specify it has to be any specific type of animal. Like, I can use this to combat train my horse. I don't think the horse would be biting the padded sleeve, but it's apparently going to help with that. So some food and drink. Mostly they're sort of irrelevant. We talk about, we're not going to talk about a lot of them, but there's a couple that are kind of interesting. One is honey. Always have a jar of honey in your character. Why not? Honey's awesome. In real life, I love honey. I absolutely adore honey. I would eat it by the spoonful every day if it wouldn't make me the fattest guy that ever lived and give me diabetes or diabetes. Uh, what was that guy? What's that guy's name? That He became a meme so much that we actually know his name now. When I Googled diabetes guy i get wilford brimley that's it wilford brimley <laughs> i actually remember seeing his ads when i'm at my grandpa's house and we're watching like you know those uh, amc and different black and white freaking channels i get mad diabetes i just like to mock everyone that has diabetes real quick in order to better extend that my character is that of a trash garbage person doesn't honey like never go bad ever like there's no part of it that is actually susceptible to rotting yes yes everyone knows honey is one of the things that can never go bad but it crystallizes and it's not as fun you warm it up and it's kind of okay but it's never the way it was honey's delicious but the freaking have you ever had where you just get like the combs and you suck the honey out of it i freaking love it it's interesting to have on your character aside from my preferences it's interesting, it's interesting to have on your character just because it's like it's a i've got a jar of honey christian you can throw it it's a splash weapon I've got, it's sticky <laughs> Was it your game that was in that I would just like pass out jars of honey and trade them for things with players? Like, I'll let him have some of my honey because he was nice to me. <laughs> I tonight. think so. I, I think it's like dishonest. I feel like we're being cheated that they sell honey that is bigger than, say, eight ounces because you're never going to use it all before it crystallizes. And then I got to put my food, I had to put my honey in the microwave so I can use it. And then it's just gross and crystal. Christian, I freaking want to drink it. I'll use uh, it before it crystallizes. You, <laughs> Put honey in a microwave and then chug it. I'm ready. <laughs> Who needs coffee in the morning? I got honey. It's delicious, Christian. <laughs> it's great. All natural honey crystallizes so quick and like separates and crap. It's the worst. I'll take the process. You, you can day. break up. In the Bible, it was a big. It was a big reward. The land of milk and honey. When you think about it, the land of cows and bees. <laughs> what? Wait a second. I want to go back to Egypt. Which shouldn't be a joke because they did say that and they got punished for it. <laughs> 
freaking God was saying, he was literally calling, giving them bread from heaven. He even made up a new word for it, manna. Manna from heaven. You know what manna means in Hebrew? What is it? Because it was brand new. What is it from heaven? And they eventually went, we've had a lot of what is it. We need some variety. You know, back in Egypt, we have variety. And God was like, are you kidding me? Seriously. You know what else you got in Egypt? Whips. Want me to start raining whips from heaven? <laughs> Suck it up. You know, even I think God, it's been a while since I read the story. But uh, I, think, I think at one point he was like, fine. And he dropped more. No, 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 no. That's something different. Oh, man. I have to read the story again. I think he eventually caved. And he's like, fine. Here's me. But I do remember that you can only gather a certain amount. And people people were like, yeah, well, God won't notice. It's not like he has eyes everywhere. And they gathered more than they were supposed to. And freaking God's like, fine. And made it like maggoty and disease. It's like, oh, you have more though. Hey, how great that was. Maybe listen to me next time. What do I have to do for you people? How much do I have to do? Freaking, I split a river, a freaking river, let you walk through it and it was dry. I didn't need to add that touch, but I did. And you get through and then I... On top of that, the armies that were chasing you, I killed them all, and not freaking like four days later, you built a calf and say, this led us out of Egypt. What are you even doing anymore? They're very stubborn people. So what I'm saying is absinthe. This is the next item I want to talk about. It's a green alcoholic drink that uh, is rumored to enhance creativity, which makes it a favorite beverage of artists and eccentrics. It's that for real people in the real world because it freaking makes you go crazy it makes you high as a kite so hey why not do that in your game just alcohol lame alcohol that makes me crazy i'm ready for it apple jacks another does, does oh, absolutely do that in real life i don't know much about it i thought it was just like a type of alcohol yep it's illegal in the united states oh, of america if you ever see the word absinthe on a bottle of alcohol it's not true absinthe there's a they took out whatever special ingredient to that is banned and like a lot of like these weird alcohol laws is it's a it's illegal to buy or sell not illegal to own so if they come across like oh i've got i can have racks of it in my house and just like i didn't buy it it was just it was just there <laughs> just spontaneous creation of alcohol absinthe is crazy it's also dangerous uh, Applejack is fun because it's just like, hey, look, it's hard cider. It's made by allowing hard cider to freeze during the winter cold. It's hard, <laughs> hard cider. <laughs> oh, cool. They remove the ice to extract much of the water from the cider and concentrate the alcohol. This is Everclear. Here you Essentially, go. Yeah. Extracted everything out of it. Odd Law Whiskey. Between the two of us, as the guy who drinks vastly less than the other guy, I would like to continue to talk about the alcohol. <laughs> I've added these on the list. Christian did not. Uh, Odd Law Whiskey is interesting because it's a 200-year-old recipe, making it a favored alcoholic beverage of old soldiers everywhere. If you're going to have alcohol in your game, do something interesting. Get the absinthe because it has an interesting effect. Or the Odd Law Whiskey because that one has history to it. Or the Applejack because the way they make it is interesting the point here is to do something interesting with the mundane items 20 gold one gold three gold for these items but you can still pick something that can add to your story and add to your role playing aside from just dwarven ale or whatever yeah if you want to accurately represent alcohol in your game just go to like any liquor store even though you don't drink just like go and walk around a liquor store shopping for alcohol is really interesting because like it's this competitive market of having to make your alcohol look interesting through the descriptions the way you made it and the art that they put in all the bottles the art game on alcohol is insane they have incredible mm -hmm. artists doing really cool packaging uh, i like the idea of not just this is something that i sh wouldn't say i struggle with but something that i think i want to do better is representing different kinds of alcohol because it is a very robust 
market. It is a very old practice that we have a lot of different methods for. If you don't think that I've bought Kraken rum just because of the the name Kraken and the shape of their bottle, <laughs> you're out of your mind. Listen, Christian, there's bottles that seal them. They have like the They're wax so cool. seals, Christian. Christian, please. Half of the alcohol that when I go by in Missouri, they sell it at the supermarket. Unlike when I lived in Jersey, where you had to have a specific alcohol store. Uh, so I see it all the time. The bottles look so cool. I just want to buy it's it like for the bottle. I want to have like my own little bar in my house, and I just want to fill it with alcohol. I'm not even going to drink most of it, but there's so many cool bottles and stickers. It's like <laughs> it's like the analog to collecting toys when I was a kid. Now it's like, oh, I'm not going to drink it. I'm just going mm-hmm. to sit there and look cool. Alcohol, just, just to make this episode longer and to go off on a, an extreme tangent, alcohol is so alluring to me because there's like a there's like a little society to it. There's a little alcohol culture to it. And the bottles are so cool. I love the idea of mixing different ingredients to come up with better and more interesting drinks or to know how to mix drinks just right. Mixology. The mixology of it is all really interesting. I love everything about it except the alcohol. They, <laughs> well, then they you need a better mixologist. It. <laughs> or a better tongue, I guess. I, I, I just don't like both its taste or its effect on me. I, I'm i already outgoing, Christian. I don't need the social lubricant. <laughs> but everything else about alcohol is super cool, so I like to do it in my game because then I can have all the cool parts about alcohol, all the parts I absolutely detest about alcohol. I can roleplay a guy that loves the taste of whiskey. I feel bad because I keep talking about these items, but these are all items that I added to the list, so poor Christian. You know, Christian, you know what it is? It's your, it's your flavor, your commentary. You're, you're with, what is that? Not flavor. There's a word for it. You're the color commentator of this, of the food and drink list. Wondrous Whippersnap is another alcohol. It's a light ale, a rarity among dwarven beers. But the reason I picked this one up is because it extends the range of your dark vision by 1d3 times 5 feet, varying from batch to batch and from each person to each person for one hour, making it a favorite among warriors who stand watch in the deepest, darkest halls of the Sky Citadels. I don't know what Sky Citadels are, but they sound pretty cool. You're saying I'm your I'm your hype man, Caleb, for when you talk about alcohol? <laughs> That'd only be if every time I went like oh! Applejack, you went, oh no, he did it! <laughs> Wonders Whipper Snap am I talking about? About to get Applejacked up in here. And the last thing I want to talk about is is there's different trail rations for different races that we talked about earlier. And two of them I wanted to talk about was the dwarven trail rations because they are mostly dried meats and things like that. And the elven, which are different breads and dried fruits. It's kind of interesting when you can, instead of just having trail rations X or picking one that benefits you because you're that certain race, if you can just be like, whatever race you are, I want to have meats for my rations. So you pick the dwarven ones. If you want to have the breads and fruits, you pick the elven. You can kind of mix it up a little bit, make it a little more interesting again when you have that downtime through we were just looking at the rules for 2.0 for all this downtime and and i found it a little difficult for me because i usually have a lot of role playing during my downtime maybe this isn't a great example because trailblazers i try to skip different things in downtime because i'm trying to tell a story for listeners but when i'm just playing and i don't have to worry about an audience i i usually take advantage of downtime and these are different tools to help you use downtime in a way that is more than just hey i'm eating meat for my trail rations always leads to something greater when you can talk and make jokes about the guy who brought honey or he talks about how interested he is in the way they made applejack or they drink absinthe everyone starts getting crazy it leads to the next 
fun item where your players interact differently. Oh, we all drink absinthe, so we all start having fun acting in different ways. These kind of things are all great to sort of facilitate role-playing for something that are just sort of very innocuous in and of themselves. There's a person who posts every so often on Reddit that they were actually were making trail rations for their players in their game. Like, they would actually make a little kit. They would have, like, these weird dried meats and dried cheeses, and they weren't super appetizing looking, and that was kind of the point to represent what it was like in-game to eat these weird dried meats from different cultures. Yeah. Are you talking about, like, in real life mm-hmm. they would make them? Oh, that's awesome. And they got to the Dwarven one, and they were like, well, no one finished it. <laughs> Everyone wanted to move on to the next one. <laughs> Is it like Hannibal, where he like has them on like a big leaf or something? It's, it's all about presentation. They were, in, they were in like a, kind of like wrapped in a bandana kind of thing. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just cooking up some burgers and having cookout. Getting ready to set off some fireworks. Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, get yourself a hot dog off the grill, set up a lawn chair, grab some dice, and join us. All right, Christian, light them up! Man, it's so hard to believe that back in 1996, we managed to defeat all those aliens. Caleb, are you, are you talking about the movie Independence Day? You know that wasn't a documentary, right? Oh, you. Always making jokes. That's cool. Let's talk about some other items. There's a bunch of different categories, and we didn't pick a lot from each category, so we're just going to kind of clump them all up together. For example, we're going to talk about one thing from the clothing category, but I'm just going to add it into this little other section here. The battle mask. A lot of characters look cool in masks. There's a lot of cool artwork out there for masks, so some of my characters do wear masks, and if I don't have the money or don't want to spend the money on a magic item that has a mask with functionality, get the battle mask. It's 50 gold. Gets gives me a plus one bonus on intimidate checks made to demoralize an opponent. So if you are a gambler or a character that plays games, gambling games, you can purchase loaded dice, you can purchase marked cards, each with their own rules for exactly how they work. The loaded dice can be bought in different quantities, which increase the DC it is to notice that it is a loaded dice. Marked cards require a DC 25 perception check or a DC 20 profession gambler check to notice that they are indeed not a fair deck of cards which i find the mark cards one interesting because you technically don't even buy it it is just the card is scratched or colored differently so you could just have a deck of cards and make it a deck of mark cards yourself without actually having to purchase any christian can i tell you about the neck guard i would like to tell you about the neck guard i'm dying to talk please about do the neck tell guard, me how christian. to protect my neck <laughs> the neck guard is just a little like hardened leather reinforced with a band of metal you put it around your neck and it protects you from bite attacks against your neck so if you're in a campaign against vampires Good item to get will give you a plus one bonus that stacks with armor to uh, protect your neck. I like that one because the players just come across this. Like they just, they're rooting through someone's house or they're rooting through a dungeon and they find the neck guard. They're suddenly going to be like, oh my goodness, someone's a vampire. 
and someone else knows someone else is a vampire. Who's the vampire? And then it ends up not even being a vampire. Or, or my players are so obtuse, like they often are, that they're like, "What's? why was he wearing this? Interesting. It's a weird kind of decorative sash. <laughs> Two sessions later, oh, as they're being like killed by a vampire, that's why he has wearing <laughs> that. I get it now. Smoked goggles are the closest thing to sunglasses you can get in this game. These spectacles have lenses made of smoked glass to help protect against creatures with gaze attacks. You get a plus eight bonus on saving throws against visual based attacks, and you get a minus four penalty on perception checks while wearing the goggles, and everyone's treated as having concealment around you, which is not great for you, but it's sunglasses. I would argue it's not sunglasses because sunglasses look cool. Smoked goggles don't sound like they look cool. They sound like glasses you have to wear when you you go to gym and you have to get like the glasses that's strapped to the back of your head. That's what I that's what I'm envisioning when I hear smoked goggles. Why? You're the worst. They're called goggles, but they're spectacles. <laughs> you know what else would be a spectacle? Watching somebody using tear-away clothing. Yes, that's a thing. And I just need to draw your attention that it was a thing. You're welcome. The ability to remove that disguise in a hurry, thus revealing the next layer of disguise, is nearly as valuable. <laughs> Some of the flavor text for these items. We all know what tear-away clothing is valuable for. It's valuable for one thing and one thing alone. Uh, being fantasy Johnny Knoxville. That's it. That, that was the one thing I was thinking of. Christian, do you know about concoctions? I have not particularly. Are you saying they're a thing? They are. Haven't heard of them. What a strange place to find something that's useful. The other section. (laughs) Concoctions. They're like alchemical items that you drink and they give you some sort of effect. So for example, the crystal sweet concoction. This sugary blue drink, often cut with mint to reduce the cloying sweetness, brightens your demeanor and sweetens your voice, giving you a plus two alchemical bonus on diplomacy checks. It renders you naive and perilously trusting, however, imparting a minus four penalty on your sense motive checks. Okay, yeah, so they all have like this cool, I've talked about before, I like the, the give and take items, which these almost all do. But there's also something interesting where if you drink multiple concoctions, you roll a D100 and see what happens. So, for example, if you roll a 2 to 3, the concoctions react explosively inside you. You take 5D12 points of oh fire goodness. damage. Did you roll... Oh my god, 5D12? Did you roll an 86 to 92? The concoctions accelerate your natural healing process. You gain fast healing 1D4 for 2D6 rounds. And there's a variety of things that'll happen. It's always fun to have these random So you... <laughs> So you could be under the effects of one concoction and just suddenly be like, I'm going to take a gamble. I hope something good happens. Just drink another one. That's like the closest thing you get to Bioshock in this game. Yeah. Just impart spell-like abilities onto them and keep the same kind of table. Oh, yeah, these are basically, they're kind of like plasmids from Bioshock. Next and last are some alchemical categories. And if you thought that we had a little bit of difficulty organizing these notes for the types of items prior to this, alchemical items are a whole nother level of disorganized. They're supposed to fall into certain categories. There's alchemical remedies, there's alchemical tools, and there's alchemical weapons. And then there's poisons. But the lines between them are totally muddled and blurred. I don't know what makes air crystals, the things that let you breathe underwater, a remedy. I don't know what that's remedying my my drowning. It's remedying <laughs> me from being drowned. I don't know what fury drops, the things that make me fly into a rage, are remedying me of. I don't know what makes blasting jelly, something that literally explodes and deals damage, a tool instead of a weapon. And also, why is body bomb something that specifically is drank to enhance your natural healing and make healing easier on this person. Why is that not a remedy? That's a tool. I don't know. So these are loosely classified, but we tried our best. 
why was bottled sunlight under tools and skill kits and not under alchemical items? It's have fun. And you could definitely make that using craft alchemy. That would be the skill to make it. And oh, poisons. Poisons aren't too bad. It's just they don't have. I think they could really benefit from like a, a consistent naming convention. Like all injury poisons are called venoms. All ingested poisons are called poisons. All contact poisons are called something else. I don't know enough about biology to make a good name for them. But it's really annoying to look through the list of poison and be like, oh, wow, this poison's really neat. Well, can't put it on my weapon. Listen, we're pointing the out one. the problems. We're not coming up with the solutions. Exactly. That, that's for someone smarter and much better at organizational skills to do. Oh, and then they throw black market as a category into the mix, which just could contain anything as long as it's somewhat illegal. Good luck looking through that one. All right, well, let's start off with some alchemical remedies. I want to talk about alchemical blood. This is sort of fake blood that was made so vampires and other creatures that need blood would be able to drink it and not have to harm a real person to get their fix of blood. This is great for if you have a society in your game of vampires who don't necessarily have to be the bad guys, or if, as your character is like a vampire or something, and you want to play it, they have that desire for blood. This is a safe, you know, it can end up being expensive if you have to spend 40 gold every day, but... For a day, you're staving off your lust for blood. Air crystals, which I already mentioned, are one of the few items that I basically always have on a character. There's these crystals you pop on your mouth and you chew on them like pop rocks. But instead of making annoying little popping noises in your mouth, they release air so you can breathe for, I believe, 10 rounds. Yep, one minute. Which, you know, you can go underwater if there is a gaseous based attack used against you. There's a lot of applications for air crystals. There's the anti-plague and the anti-toxin. Pretty self-explanatory. Not useful until you need it. <laughs> and when you need it, you darn really need it. Those are two more items that I put on basically every character sheet. 50 gold to cure or prevent a disease or poison. Very useful. There's alchemist kindness, which is basically fantasy Alka-Seltzer from what I understand. But it's crystalline powder that resembles salt. When you mix it with water, it makes a fizzing cocktail that eliminates the effects of a hangover within 10 minutes of drinking it. Really nice role-playing item. Yeah, it's and this is another one of those items that I discovered Then I was playing a game and then you were talking about it. And I'm like, I'm someone, I found that. I don't, I don't like it. Other people find the interesting <laughs> items I find. And then I gave it to your character and it was like I was condescending to you. <laughs> cool. Listen, in a fantasy world, we should be able to defeat... Uh, not alcoholism. That'll never be defeated. I'm sorry about that. But to be able to defeat hangovers. <laughs> if anything, this is just encouraging alcoholism. After all of our talk about how cool drinking is, we can't, <laughs> we can't talk about a remedy for it. You could purchase a deodorizing agent. There's a milky, odorless substance that you put on yourself, and it makes you scentless for 1d3 hours. This is kind of important because protection against scent is rare, and this is a cheap and easy way to do it. If you're playing a rogue-type character, you'll find it's actually pretty easy to get your stealth checks to be absolutely insane. And at that point, you're really just worried about people with scent and people with blind sense and things like that. So this is one that just completely nixes the worry of one method of detection. Essence of Independence. When you take this, if you're under the influence of a mind-affecting effect, you receive a new save with a bonus to break the effect. Here's something very interesting about this. If an animal companion, familiar, etc. takes this, they, they cease to be bound to their master for 10 minutes, and they're going to get a plus two bonus to a bunch of checks, and then they like to find their own way. And depending on how you treated them in the past... 
It's going to depend their attitude to you, master. Hmm. <laughs> this can be, you know, for such a cheap item, you know, your your villain sets it into some food or something you think your animal companion will eat that maybe your player won't notice, you know, reward them if they do figure out, whoa, whoa, whoa don't eat this. And if they don't, all of a sudden your, your animal companion is an enemy for 10 minutes or allows you a really cool role-playing opportunity. There are insight leaves. You steep these leaves in the water to make a tea, you drink it, and you experience vivid hallucinations that offer insight into matters with which you previously had only limited familiarity. After eight hours on to rest, you can attempt a previously failed knowledge check with a plus two alchemical bonus. Okay, so I don't know why these drugs, explicitly these drugs that make you hallucinate, aren't in the black market category. Okay, Christian, all right. <laughs> I don't know what this is remedying me, Christian, remedying me of my piece. lack of knowledge on something. Christian. I'm so cured. <laughs> A heat stone. Anyone who's listened to Trailblazer Season 1 knows about the heat stone. It's a rock, you smash it, and then it's like, yo, I'll produce heat for a little bit. Good for those times when you're out in the cold. My first ever TPK that I ran was because a bunch of players died in the cold. You can find much uses for this. Heat stone remedying. Christian. Heat stones are remedying you of your coldness. Christian. And liquid breeze is remedying you of being hot. Well, you slap liquid breeze on you, it's something you can buy, and it grants the benefits of endure elements for eight hours, but only against hot environments. So save yourself 20 gold rather than buying a potion of endure elements. If you know you're going through a desert, just rub yourself with some liquid breeze, TM. The Rager's Aid. For 25 gold, you chew these leaves and you ignore the effects of fatigue for six rounds. After that... You are then exhausted instead. Good for that pinch in battle. I do not want to be fatigued. I gotta fight. Or early access to rage cycling in a very important battle for a barbarian. Christian, if only there was a remedy for vermin. (laughs) Well, I can't cure all of vermin, but you can buy vermin repellent. Oh. This vile smelling white paste keeps vermin at bay if spread on your skin. Tell me more. That's really about it. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> Swarms have to make a fortitude save in order to enter your square, and then it lasts for four hours. Okay. You're also much more susceptible to creatures with scent while wearing it because you smell so bad. I mean, that's usually me, honestly. <laughs> me, me, honestly. I'm several smells bad. <laughs> Listen, I shower once a week. That's for church, and it's because I have to go outside. So of our list, 1, 2, 3, Christian, 4, 5, right, 6, 7, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12... Two of them actually cured things or remedied something. We should have remedied for oh, your three, comments three. this episode. Alchemist Kindness did remedy you of your hangover, so three of them. And Essence and Independence remedies you of an animal companion, if he's being really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> let me let me remedy our listeners having to listen to you anymore. And let's talk about alchemical tools. The Accuracy Lozenge. Gray-green pill for 330 gold. Better do something pretty cool. For five minutes, when you make a full attack, you can accept alchemical burn to make your second attack at your full base attack bonus instead of your normal one. That's actually pretty awesome. What is alchemical burn? If you listen to the Kineticus episode, we talk about burn, so you can know a little more about what exactly alchemical burn is. It works essentially the same way. But I like that I like that idea a little bit. Take a little bit of non-lethal damage, and I'm much more accurate. I think this is actually worth the amount of gold. Wow, yeah, that on an unchained monk. At level six, 
going to be making six attacks at their full base attack bonus for taking a little bit of non-lethal damage. That's insane. I don't know. Did you just assume you got a second attack? I might have thrown haste in there. You did. Yeah, sorry. It, there's a little note here at the end that says you don't get an extra attack. No, so, I'm sorry. They, so their normal attack, their iterative attack, and their flurry of blows attack. So they're going to get three attacks at their full base attack bonus at six. Plus, someone's probably casting haste on your marshals. So four, potentially, at your highest base attack bonus. There's a lot of these... And it's only your second attack that's getting the... the There's a couple items like this that allow you to accept alchemical burn, and most of them are pretty neat. They're all from the Ultimate Intrigue book. Age Ointment is a waxy ointment that you can rub on your skin to help you disguise and appear younger. It has some rules about how it relaxes and discolors your skin, giving you a bonus on disguise checks to appear older or younger than you are. Christian, do you want to insert some early 2018 memes into your game? Boy, do I. Well, then consider this. The Alchemical Cleaner. For 300 gold, you too can have a Tide Pod in your game. Have eating competitions. Poison your players. Make them have, make them use alchemical remedies to not die. The Alchemical Cleaner. Buy it today. Wow, that makes me want a Harlem Shake. <laughs> oh, no! Yikes. I like how sometimes we look back at memes like people look back at mullets. Oh, how do we think that was good? <laughs> Make sure that in-game, when you give your characters the Tide Pods, it is Wednesday, my dudes. All right, all right. Let's move on. Armor Ointment, only 30 gold. Rub it on your armor. It reduces the armor check penalty by one for eight hours. So if you are a fighter, you haven't hit level seven yet, so you don't have your second iteration of armor training, just buy a couple things of armor ointment. Basically get yourself to that zero armor check penalty a couple levels early for a pretty small investment, I think. Or maybe you're a paladin and you're just really tired of your armor being so, so heavy. Christian, what happened in the Adventurer's Armory? What do you mean, Caleb? What do I mean? I mean Bachelor Snuff and Night Tea. Bachelor Snuff, if inhaled through the nose, this sooty-smelling golden powder renders humanoid males temporarily sterile without otherwise affecting their performance. Long-term use of Bachelor Snuff tend to develop a slight but still noticeable gilded tinge at their teeth and nails. Alright, alright, can we... Alright, well, alright, let's finish up with Night Tea. This frothy tea made from the bone white... Triangular leaves of the night tea plant renders a humanoid female sterile if drunk every day in high doses and may be able to end a pregnancy. Speaking of old memes, why does Adventurer's Armory have no chill? <laughs> what what are what's happening here? They just gave me a way to have an abortion. The best thing what, to roleplay. What play. CR is that fetus? Oh my goodness. No it's idea. one silver piece for the night tea, one gold piece for the snuff. Yikes. Well, I guess if you want if you want it in your game, there it is. To note, they are black market considered items, so they're technically not legal. If you're going by like the base rules or base flavor of the Galorian setting. Yeah, who cares? At least the, I like how the Bachelor stuff has the like flavor application of, you can tell if someone's using it by the tinge on their nails. Could make a good NPC interaction or something that people can notice about somebody. Hey, you like having sex a lot, don't you? Oh, I see you've noticed my nails. <laughs> it's a fashion statement around here. What a great role-playing opportunity. They don't, they don't even have sex. They just snort it so, and to tinge their nails so people think they do. <laughs> I, I do it just in case. John, you haven't had sex in four years. Well, if it happens tomorrow, I'm ready. <laughs> I am so sterile. You think I'm going to have a baby? <laughs> 
think he's using bachelor snuff, but that's none of my business. <laughs> John, aren't you gay? Listen, I just want to be safe. <laughs> you never know. No, we do kind of know. We mostly know. Listen, with, with items out there, like, oh, what was that mask called that we made fun of so much? Like, the, with items out there, like the mother's, mother's mask. mask, you never know. <laughs> These things just happen. Obviously, Pathfinder <laughs> is basically fatal in terms of sexual content. <laughs> you thought swimming was dangerous. Oh, it's called Back to Our Skills episode. So, onto the buoyant balloon. It's kind of like a emergency life vest. You can give this bladder a twist and a shove, and it breaks something inside that makes a bunch of air blow up the balloon. And if you're underwater, it starts to shoot you upwards at 60 feet per round. What I'm disappointed at is that it does not mention decompression sickness for these rules. How are they going to talk about the rules of suffocating your fish for being in a bowl and not talk about decompression sickness if I'm going 600 feet under or upwards in water? I don't know, Christian. Not every item can have skiing rules. <laughs> I want to have a buoyant balloon race. The sunrod. A lot of people know about the sunrod. It is kind of like the fantasy version of those glow sticks that you crack and you throw in a room and it makes light. It sheds light like a torch, essentially, but it lasts for a while. There's two other items that are very similar. The candle rod is similar to the sunrod, but it's less light. The moon rod is particular with low light vision, and the gloom stick actually takes away light. Again, I love that idea that let's throw in an item and all of a sudden it gets dark. What happened? Imagine how surreal that would be. I love those. I love when people just like take things and turn it around. Like imagine if thunderstorms were the reverse, just uh, during the daytime, just flashes of darkness. That'd be terrifying. What if rain was reversed and you'd be swimming in the ocean and suddenly just drops of dry fall through? There's also the red flame torch, someone in the same vein of things that produce light it sheds to only dim light in a 10 foot radius and the light it casts is undetectable outside this radius by normal vision dark vision or low light vision so basically the amulet of hidden light i talked about during the main episode of magic items but instead now an alchemical item only for 20 gold but it does only shed light in a 10 foot radius very good if you want to be sneaky but don't have dark vision card dice oil this one's very interesting. Pour this liquid out of this bottle into a pool of water, and it freezes the top layer of the water to ice. So you can walk across it. Very interesting. Good in low-level campaigns when you need to get out of some place and you don't have many other options. I can imagine a cool heist campaign, and you plan for your way out to go out through the river or the uh, lake that's connected to the vault that they never expected anyone to come through because you can make a path of ice. Or if you know you're going to be on a boat or going through an area where there's going to be water features or potentially creatures attacking you from the water, something tries to breach the water in response, throw down your ice and make a field of ice they can't breach through. Cooking powder is a handful of seeds somehow alchemically prepared with rust. The idea is that you make take these red flakes you put them in your food and you can ignite them and over time it will cook that food with the residual heat inside them without you needing any significant light or heat. Cool. The Afridi cord. This is essentially C4, but it's your fantasy C4. It's a length of string approximately 18 inches long and and it's flexible. And once you activate it using a Afridi switch, oh, of course, it rapidly heats up and after one round becomes a white hot cord of fire 
And there's rules about how much damage it's going to do to an object, but the idea is you're going to be able to burn through stuff. Make your own doors. Doing a low magic campaign, you don't get the deck of many doors. Don't get the door knocker of whatever the heck it was. You got a free cord. The Falsehood Fizz. This is another set of items similar to the ones that allow you to accept alchemical burn. There is a subsection of items that allow you to use alchemical inspiration, just like the investigator mechanic, but they do have a drawback. In the case of the Falsehood Fizz, you get 1d4 use of alchemical inspiration that could be used only on bluff checks to lie or deliver secret messages. Additionally, you could spend two uses of alchemical inspiration to gain a inspiration dice on saving throws against truth detecting or truth forcing magic. So basically allows you to use inspiration to lie. This lasts for one hour, but during this time, you have to roll twice and take the worst result for sense motive checks. And many of them are like that. They allow you to do something, but then doing kind of the analog to that is more difficult. There's one that gives you, say, a bonus to diplomacy checks, but you're very bad at intimidate checks during that time because you're so friendly. Flash Seeds. These are like the Deku Nuts from Zelda Ocarina of Time. It makes a loud noise and a flash of light, and you need to make a DC 11 fortitude save or be blinded for one round. This is a, I actually recently made a Link build, because I think most people will realize pretty quickly when you make a build, trying to play as a Link, it's mostly based around items, and he's pretty much a fighter, even with like the, the saves against fear for his courage. You know what? It wasn't that interesting. Like I, I made a lot of the items that were like, it was like almost an exact representation, but it's just like most people get cool magic items. Most fighters and martial kind of are going to get cool items anyway. It was kind of disappointing. I don't want to tangent on that, but I always say that when people are like, I want to play Link. I'm like, you want to be a person, a man with a sword? Yeah, but you could be so much more. I want to be Samus. You mean you want to be a woman with a gun? Like, but you could be so much more. Yeah, I think Link is going to be, you're going to be less interested in the build to make Link interesting and have to role play him well. Because there's something cool about the stoic. Alright, I'm giving us 30 seconds. Because it's a long episode. Go, time. Click. There's something cool about a stoic, like, courageous character that'll never give up, that you keep beating down, and he keeps getting up no matter what. That's what makes Punisher so freaking awesome. He looks like he's practically dead, but he's still going to get up and come at you. But there's something not so fun about role-playing him for other players. It becomes less realistic and less interesting to have the guy like, oh, yeah, well, I don't give up. All right, you need to have something more. So Link is really, really interesting, really, really cool. Sam's really, really interesting, really, really cool for you to play in a single-player game. But I think in a game like Pathfinder, time it's not as cool. I'm still going to play as soon as I can Samus in, in uh, Starfinder. Starfinder. I wanted that so bad. But you know what I want more than that? A, a mech suit, I know. Mechs. You want to be a Gundam. I want mechs. <laughs> I'm ready. Play, play what's Samus, but in your own personal mech? Am I right, guys? Gee. <laughs> and I wanted to have the Master Sword. <laughs> you can buy yourself some fervor juice. This foul-tasting alchemical concoction grants those that imbibe it ferocity for a short period of time. This acts as the actual monster rule ferocity, like you can keep fighting even though you probably should be dead. And it lasts for one hour. That's just, I expect that to have a drawback of some kind. That's really good. Frightful War Paint is useful if you want to intimidate or scare people. This bone white paste makes your face appear skeletal and emotionless like the visage of death itself. When you apply Frightful War Paint to yourself or a willing adjacent creature as a full round action, you attempt a disguise or charisma check. Living creatures within 30 feet of the person wearing the paint need to make a will save or become shaken for 1d4 rounds. There is a stipulation here that you can technically wear it forever, but if you start wearing it for too long, you start to take constitution damage and wisdom damage. 
I guess I'm not fully understanding the implications of this, so it's only when I put it on, not just like when I walk around wearing it. Do I have like effectively a fear aura during this time, or is it just when I put it on and playing in my makeup kit and take my head up? <gasps> He's dead. He just killed himself in front of me. You get, it's essentially a 30 foot fear aura, but the longer you wear it, the more it's going to negatively affect you. You don't just get fear auras for free, Christian. Yeah, okay. Just the wording made me feel, it was weird. Like, it's only when I put it on. Like, people have to watch me apply it. Watch this makeup tutorial. <gasps> Listen, that's all the top videos on YouTube. They're advertiser friendly. Yeah, but they only apply to half of us. Fire ink. This rich yellow ink reacts with the creature's body heat to create a flickering flame-like glow. You can also apply even more of it to make a torch-sized glow. This hurts you, unless you have heat resistance in some way. I think it's really, really cool. I think it's interesting to have a light source on your body, but I think it's even cooler as just a visual aspect of your character, and you can pay 10 times the price to make it permanent. Otherwise, it just lasts for a little bit, I think for like 24 hours. Really cool. Glowing tattoos. Why not? Thanks, Ifrits. Gravely Tonic is really good for an intimidation-based build. This tonic is sludgy, and its scent reveals the tang of iron shavings. When you drink it, it causes your voice to deepen and become more grating for one hour, giving you a plus five alchemical bonus on intimidate checks. Plus five bonus on something for an hour is really good. It's going to stack with basically everything else. Though I see this more of a solution to the bard is better at intimidating than the barbarian. Though the bard can drink this, I think in a role-playing scenario, it's more likely that the barbarian would drink something like this and then become more frightening. Ink of Stolen Secrets. One of the best ways, actually, to communicate over long distances, and it's not even a magical item. It's alchemical. This al It's ink that you write on a piece of parchment, and there's an attuned piece of parchment where the message will appear on that parchment as well for about an hour. That's really cool. I can write a message to somebody and it instantly goes halfway across the world if that's where the other parchment is. And the message will go away in an hour, so it's good for keeping secrets. Really cool. You can't recreate any sort of scrolls or special effects. I can't symbol of death and then the person across the country holds up the parchment <laughs> and symbols of death somebody. <laughs> holds up the piece of parchment. It's your it's fingers in an okay symbol and they instantly die. And it's just ink, so... It's 50 gold for the ink, which will last for a whole parchment, and then you just pick a parchment to attune it to. I didn't really know about this item, and I'm glad I've discovered it. Impact Foam, a.k.a. Billy Maze's Impact Gel, is a flask that you can throw on the ground, and when you do, it makes basically a big cushion of foam that reduces, say, falling damage. has a lot of potential applications. I think this is a very versatile item. You can use it to fill an area if you just need to, like, clog something. You can use it to save things that are falling, objects if you're... Hey, if you're moving your house, just throw your furniture out the window onto some impact foam. <laughs> you can pull those pranks. That's probably how it happened in your house. <laughs> I remember watching the show that covered like the behind-the-scenes Billy Mays stuff. It was kind of like a TV show style, less of a documentary style. And he talked over him doing that episode, and a car drove over somebody's hand with the impact gel. And he mm -hmm. said, I don't I don't want to do this. I use my hands. They're very important to my job. <laughs> and the guy's like, they're important to everyone's job. All right? Just because you make movies, you can't say, oh, man, I don't want this thing to hurt my eyes. It's important to my job. Hey, newsflash. Eyes are important to everyone's job. Billy Mays. Everyone uses their hands. <laughs> he didn't. He, he wouldn't do it. End up like when they zoom in at somebody else's hand. The illusion shattered. <laughs> Billy Mays here, but this is not going to be my hand. Look at it go. <laughs>
Billy Mays, we lost him too soon. I freaking loved Billy Mays. He was amazing. He start. He got his start in Atlantic City. He did? I did not know that. Yep, on the boardwalk. He would A guy like that, he would try to sell stuff on the boardwalk. Back when the boardwalk was something you should go to. <laughs> I really only know Billy Mays from, and his products from Doves on YouTube. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know who did a really good video? Uh, Epic Rap Battles of History. Like, by the way, where have they gone? They did a great Billy Mays versus... Benjamin Franklin. Oh, yeah, that one was excellent. Insomnia powder. It's a fine white powder, but it's a powerful stimulant and will prevent you from sleeping for 24 hours. You can throw it like a splash weapon in the middle of battle and then leave the battle. And then be like, oh, you're going to be tired a little bit. Come back in a day. <laughs> There's a save to, to negate the effect. It's kind of like a poison effect, but uh, it'll make you prone to like fatigue and exhaustion and stuff because it's preventing sleep. So it can prevent wizards and other spellcasters from regaining their spells, but it won't prevent you from meditating or praying. Okay. I find this interesting more as I've had characters before been like, I'm too afraid to sleep. I don't want to fall asleep. Don't let me fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Just throw this at yourself. Choose to fail your save. Well, not really throw it. I guess you would just inhale it at that point. You wouldn't like toss it straight up in the air and let it fall in front of you. <laughs> Instant fertilizer. This ruby red earth can be sprinkled over a five foot patch of ground as a standard action that provokes an attack of opportunity. And then suddenly plants spring from the ground there and things that are in that square need to make a DC 15 reflex save are become entangled by the plants. If there's a plant creature in that square, it's healed for 1d6 points of damage. Don't know why that one's not a weapon, specifically a weapon, but I think it's a very interesting visual to have. I think it's a cool thing that you could use in the middle of combat. Just be like, hang on, I'm planting stuff. Plants grow up and around the enemy's ankles. Hey, at least they kept the theme of making, you know, fertilizer a weapon. Whereas in our world, we can use it for bombs. Here you can use it for bulbs. Mithril Bane Sap. This is a concoction. When it comes into contact with metal, it'll rapidly expand into a sticky, inflexible substance. So you throw it at people who are wearing armor, and all of a sudden their armor is considered one category heavier for the purposes of movement. Additionally, this and the arcane spell failure chance of that armor increases by 10%. Its max dex bonus decreases by 2, and its armor check penalty increases by 3. I'll last for about a minute. I think this is a really interesting effect, and I kind of like the things that kind of toss my players on their head because I'm going to buy armor that like it's just perfectly optimized like it's just there on every category it's got just the right amount of decks it's got just the right amount of armor check penalty and when I get hit by this I'm not going to be devastated it's not a particularly powerful thing to do but it's interesting just because it's different although you have to ask yourself the question is this something that you want to reconfigure in the middle of battle hmm. well I mean I'm not doing it I'm making the GM do it well if you're a GM and you use it on your players okay fine all right you found you found the loop the loophole being the other thing that happens in this game, half of the game. <laughs> Light fire ink. Basically, it is ink. You write something down. After it's red, it can bust and is no longer there. And it is your super secret spy ink. Uh, roughly a minute after it's exposed to light, these chemicals will ignite. Path stones. These little stones kind of act like sun rods where they glow. But the light is so soft that it's barely noticeable. So just like your super secret spy stuff, it's good for leaving messages or to create a path for other people to follow that maybe others won't notice. Silence dust. This ashen powder can be thrown as a splash weapon, muffling all sound within a 15-foot radius. Perception checks to notice sound emanating from or passing through this cloud take a minus 10 penalty. Or you can put the dust on your feet and get a plus 5 circumstance bonus to stealth. 
I don't know why that's not an alchemical bonus, but okay. This is effective for one minute before it disperses. So I think this is a really cool item. If you are having a game where intrigue and stealth is a thing, not everyone's going to be stealthy, but this could definitely help level it out. The smoke pellet. It's like a smoke stick, except you can make it ranged and make a little five foot square of yellow smoke that'll last for one round. Ooh, concealment, go. All your ninjas need them. I don't know if it's technically by rules allowed, but I always put one of those in my spring-loaded wrist sheath, so at any point I could just have it shoot out out the ground at my feet. It's happened a few times. Tunnel Creeper is a fist-sized cluster of aggressive fungus, and the idea is that you put it on a surface, you throw some water on it, and the fungus starts to bore through that surface. It's supposed to make a 5-foot-tall, 10-foot-deep tunnel in a straight line that is supported by sturdy fungal tubes. It can't eat through metal or any material denser than common stone. It takes 10 minutes to carve through stone, 5 minutes to carve through wood, and after it's done, it withers and falls to the ground. Another super secret spy item to sneak into someone's house through a back door that you make yourself. The Tinder Twig. Listen, sooner or later, you're going to play a character that has a cigarette. And do you want to have to use a flint and steel to light your cigarette? No, you don't. You need a Tinder Twig. Tinder Twigs are like matches. They cost a gold, so they're very expensive matches. One gold for one match. But you'll need them, especially if you're going to do your cool anime build. One of the most versatile alchemical tools, the Vomit Capsule. Bite down and ingest the contents of this capsule, after which you will almost immediately begin to projectile vomit it. Oh. The vomiting lasts for one full round, during which you could take no other actions. Though, the following round you recover fully with no ill effects. Use it- Strongly disagree. Use it to make a distraction. Oh. Use it to put out a fire. Use it to make- Everyone else throw up around you like a chain effect. This might as well be a spell because that's what happens. It's gross and disgusting. <laughs> Vomit on someone, make a bluff check that they're now poisoned. They don't know the difference. The water purification sponge. This is a sponge. You put one pint of water into it or you dip into one pint of water and you squeeze out the water. The sponge filters and purifies it, making it safe for drinking, washing, and similar activities. Won't get rid of like actual poisons and stuff like that, but that's really cool. And each sponge can go up to 25 pints of water. That's really neat. I like this idea. What a great item for 25 gold, which again, sort of facilitating that role playing during downtime. Also use it as your water carrying vessel. You got a pint of water, you don't need it in a cup, you can just suck the sponge. I like the idea it's made from like a sea anemone or something, like those natural sponges that look weird. Use the vomit capsule, vomit Stop. onto your water purification Stop. sponge. Stop. <laughs> How many pints does people usually vomit you're in a full round action? Not chemical weapons <laughs> that I'm going to use against Christian. These are especially, even though all these items we kind of mentioned are usually good for low level characters, I think these especially you'll find will quickly be irrelevant once you start going up in level. Their damage is typically not particularly high. And the DCs to save against a lot of these things also don't go over 20, typically. So you got your classic alchemist fire. It's like a little kind of grenade. You throw it, and to give you an idea, normally won't give you the exact damage, but here, since we're making a point to tell you that it's low damage, it's going to do 1d6 points of fire damage if it directly hits you, and creatures adjacent to the target are going to take 1 point of fire damage as splash damage. The save against it is a, it's DC 15 reflex. And then on the following round for the direct hit guy, you're going to take another 1d6 points of damage. And they can spend a round to sort of try to put, put it out. Simple, low damage, 20 gold. But it's I think it's it's iconic. And there's other items that we'll find that act a lot like this. There's acid, which is just called acid, by the way. 
that that won't ever get confusing liquid ice things like this that will have a similar effect flash powder is going to make a bright light itching powder i bet you can guess i've had some really good role-playing moments with that by the way that let me tell you how itching powder backfired on me i was role-playing as a character that was uh, in love with another character but we were very early stages so it's like i'm not gonna admit it yet you know sort of like just that unspoken thing between you uh, that if you, you're afraid if you if you do talk about it it'll it'll disappear, and so <laughs> oh my goodness we were all sleeping in a boat right so we all have our own different beds and one of my players uh, we were kind of just playing pranks on each other back and forth kind of a fun little rivalry so I I bought some itching powder and put it in his in his bed and uh, of course he was itching and the player who I was having the romantic interest in. Uh, came to him and said, oh, it's okay. You can sleep in my bed. I was like, excuse me? Excuse me what? <laughs> but the person here who I'm trying to hurt gets the benefit of sleeping with the girl I love? Mm-mm-mm-mm. I think I think it ended up, I think I smashed his chest with a flail. It got, it got violent. It got violent. I'm like, get out of her bed. <laughs> were you playing in a tabletop role-playing game or were you living in an anime? <laughs> Christian, some of the best times happen when it's both. <laughs> What is this harem anime it nonsense? Was, it was perfect anime. She was like, he must care about me. And I'm like, and was I'm she like, also a cat? No, Baka. And I ran out of the room. That's not a joke. That happened. <laughs> I didn't say Baka. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask. Was, was she also a cat girl? Uh, yes. Of course she was. <laughs> Christian, you know me too well. <laughs> anyway, a couple other of these these items I wanted to mention. There is the... Thunderstones and Stormstones going to make bright noises. Bright noises? <laughs> Cover your eyes. Enough. <laughs> bright noises. Stop. <laughs> Get me my smoked goggles. It's too loud in here. Thunderstone and Stormstone <laughs> will make loud noises to deafen your enemies. A chemical grease you, you rub on yourself or a pig making it hard to grab. Giving you uh, some bonus on escape artist checks specifically. Blade garb, just cool that you put on your weapon and it helps you let make attacks against oozes and rust monsters without worrying about your weapon getting destroyed. The reason I'm going all over these pretty quickly is because I've I've specifically put them all on the list because these items all can enhance magic. So later levels in your game, you can make these items still relevant. They're called alchemical reagents and alchemical power components so let me give you an example the alchemist's fire that we talked about if you use this as the spell component part of burning hands one target that fails its reflex saving throw catches on fire as if it had been struck by alchemist's fire or if you use it for scorching ray you add a plus one bonus on your attack rolls with all rays from the spell this makes this item a lot cooler i love the idea of making components something more than just ball of spiders it does nothing you just have to get it it's actually a chore to get it. This is cool. Okay, I specifically went out and get Alchemist Fire because I know I'm going to use Flaming Sphere and I want the bonus effect. So all those items I listed, and it, you probably can guess, Acid One is going to go with a lot of the Acid spells. Blade Guard is going to be for Wall of Iron. It's really cool. I, I wish I learned about these back when I played a caster a little while ago. I'm definitely going to be using these in the future. And it's a very unique way to make these items valuable uh, in the mid-game. I also like it because unlike Bakwano, it's something that I am want to have on my <laughs> character already. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not like something completely random. Like I'm arbitrarily buying this because it is for my spell. This is sure. something I bought anyway, but now it has a new application. Yep. Worst comes to worst, you can use it for anime reasons. 
itching powder go when it comes to alchemical weapons because there's so many books you kind of just end up scouring for the strongest ones and one of the strongest alchemical weapons is the cytalesh stun vial this is randomly from the kobolds of galerian book it's 75 gold harvested from fungus commonly found in the darklands these small vials emit a bright blue glow when broken the stun vial releases a flash of bright light all creatures within the flash need to make a dc 20 will save that that dc 20 is good for an alchemical item Creatures that fail are stunned for 1d2 rounds if they're in an area of bright light or are confused for one round if they're in an area of dim light. So you, you can't use this in darkness, but in bright light, this is an AoE stun for a DC 20. That's basically a spell. That's like a mass day spell. There's also the dust knuckles. These are fingerless leather gloves that have four little pouches that you can line with tiny glass vials. What you line them with are diamond dust vials. When you shatter a vial with your punch, the target must succeed at a DC 20 reflex save to shield its eyes or be temporarily blinded for one round. Stunned, blinded, both very powerful status effects with really good DCs on them. And I just think the idea of having the dust knuckles is really cool. Dark Flare. This alchemical flare explodes one round of her lighting, and if a creature is in the same squares where it explodes, they need to make a save or lose their dark vision for 1d10 rounds. Very interesting. I like this a lot. I think it's very specific use, but when you find the use for it, that'd be cool. The one time I've seen a player use it was kobolds were a thing in the module we were running, and we had to essentially go into a cave of kobolds or a cave of goblins, I forget which now that I think about it, to deal with them. The dark flare was invaluable. None of us had dark vision. I think we were all humans. So it was basically a big flashbang that didn't affect us. A fuse grenade is literally just a grenade. You light the fuse. 1d3 rounds later, the grenade explodes, dealing 2d6 points of bludgeoning damage and 1d6 points of fire damage in a 10-foot radius with a DC 15 reflex save. It's like a little bit better version of the Alchemical's Fire. Yeah, but the, it is inconsistent with the 1d3 rounds later. You don't know when it's going to blow up. Use this in Tribulation Season 1 to great effect. I once had a player had like a bunch of these. For some reason, I think he either found a bunch or purchased a bunch, and I let him, and they had to cause a distraction of some kind, so they actually, like, found an empty building and just detonated, like, the main support with all the grenades at once. Holy water. It's not fake in this world. hey oh, jazz of Catholics. Holy water, because I like to alienate all my listeners. Hey, look at me. I'm insulting other religions. Ha 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 ha. You're not the same as me. Holy water uh, damages undead creatures and evil outsiders. Important that the evil outsiders, I didn't know that part for a long time, as if it were acid. A, whole, a flask of holy water can be thrown like a splash weapon. Does 2d4 points of damage and creatures adjacent take splash damage for one point. Cool. Incendiary catalyst. This is one of my favorite alchemical weapons. You throw the catalyst at a creature. It's a splash weapon. If you hit them, they're doused an accelerant that gives them vulnerability to fire for one round. So for one round, they're going to take 50% more damage from all fire-based attacks. I use this on an alchemist build. They had the ability to make an attack and include an alchemical weapon with it. So in a full round action, I would start by firing an incendiary catalyst with my first attack. And if that hit, I would follow up with fire bombs for the remainder of my iterative attacks. It's very effective and your allies can benefit from it as well. You could be, tell your allies that, hey, if you have anything that deals fire, use it now. We're going like full in on this. I think it's very interesting. I would love to see more items like this where you give your opponent some weaknesses that your players could or could not monopolize on. I like items that instead of doing damage, 
give opportunity for your players to work together. I've definitely, when I was playing a caster at that point, and I would try sometimes, I would try to pick a burn spell or a spell to fire damage so I could take advantage of this. Another classic throwing weapon, the Tanglefoot Bag, and it's analog, the Tangle Burn Bag. It is a sack full of sticky goo that you throw at someone and it sticks them to the floor. They're stuck to the surface. They can try to break out with a strength check. They they could try to chop themselves free. The Tangle Burn Bag is very similar, except the gooey stuff that's sticking them to the floor also ignites. It's a DC 20 reflex save. So these things can remain viable for a long time. I think unlike the Alchemist Fire, the Tanglefoot variants all stay useful for a long, long time. Kitumu's ire. I don't know who Kitumu is. All I know is that he was really upset at swarms. You use this and it will attract swarms. So you throw this on your enemy and swarms in the area will choose to seek out and attack that target over any other creature. And that creature that's covered in this stuff gets minus two penalty on saving throws against the swarm's distraction ability. It'll last for one hour unless washed away with at least a gallon of alcohol. I like how there's a specific thing you have to wash it with. Liquid Blade is a small metal tube, and with the flick of your wrist, the accelerants and chemicals inside bubble and become a transparent blade, kind of like instant ice. At that point, it just acts like a medium short sword, a medium-sized short sword with the fragile quality. It lasts for 10 minutes, and then it evaporates. Really cool, like an assassin item. The murder weapon disappears. Really good to hold if you're going somewhere where you're not allowed to bring weapons. As long as the people aren't educated or you can hide this vial on you, you can get effectively a short sword somewhere. Really cool. I love the idea of it. You can also put poisons in the tube, and when the blade is created, it is treated as having that poison applied to it. The Unstable Accelerant. An alchemist making bombs can add this to it to increase their damage by 1d6 points. I like the idea of I allow my players to add this to their Alchemist Fire to make it do more damage. So in later game, I took Alchemist Fire and gave them like four accelerants and let them stack on each other so that they could use it at a higher level. Well, Christian, we're on to the poisons now. Mm. Poisons have their own way they work. I don't know if we have we ever covered how poisons work. Not in great detail. I think we've mentioned it before, but we've never been like, oh, this is how the onset period works for a poison. You want to do a quick primer on poisons for us? Because we're going to be using some verbiage. The main points to consider for poisons is that there's multiple different kinds. There are injury poisons, which means if it somehow enters a creature's bloodstream, that is how you apply the poison to them. There are ingested poisons, which means they actually have to eat or consume that poison. They can't just, you know, be cut by a sword with it. And there are contact poisons, which means these poisons simply need to touch your skin, and then they can be applied. And inhaled where you breathe it in. They all have a saving throw associated with them. They have an onset, which means once the poison is applied to you, however it is applied, it begins to take effect after its onset period. The frequency is how often this poison ticks. So typically poisons do some type of damage. So to use the belladonna as an example, it has an onset of 10 minutes. Once someone eats belladonna after 10 minutes... They, they begin to take the effects, which is 1d2 strength damage. They're going to take 1d2 strength damage every minute for six minutes. Every time a poison would tick, you get a new fortitude save against it. Typically, poisons require multiple consecutive saves in order to get them out of your system. So if you fail your initial saving throw, a lot of them will say the cure is two consecutive saves. They're not always consecutive. Some are just two saves. Mm -hmm. Or one save. Yep. Many poisons also have an initial effect and a secondary effect. The initial effect will happen when you first fail your saving throw, and all subsequent saving throws and poison ticks thereafter have a different effect. 
Well, thank you for that, Christian. Now that we know that, let's talk about Belladonna. Belladonna is not interesting for like the damage it applies, but it actually can be used to help cure lycanthropy. I think that's cool. It's a poison to most people, but to the guy infected with lycanthropy and trying to stave it off before it sets in permanently, this is not a poison to him. This is an alchemical cure. Wait, it's in the wrong category. (laughs) (laughs) One of my friends had a campaign where he was inflicted with lycanthropy. And at one point he said he just like kind of ditched everyone, went by himself because they know he was a werewolf and just started stuffing his mouth full of all the belladonna he could eat (laughs) (laughs) and just barely survived with like one or two strength left, but he was eventually cured. Drow poison is kind of a staple. It is an injury poison. It only has a DC 13 fortitude save, which is pretty low, but its effect, if you fail your save, is unconsciousness immediately. Essentially a low-level 75 gold saver suck. Alchemical Isolation. This one is 175 gold. It's an inhaled poison. It ticks once a minute for two minutes. So the initial effect is that the person is deafened. The secondary effect is that the person is blinded, both with a duration of 10 minutes. I just think the name is very fitting. People can't hear, people can't see the people around them and feel as if they are isolated. A lot of poisons we're going to talk about, I think they're cool because you don't necessarily need to use them offensively. Maybe there's some weird story thing where you have to interact with some powerful artifact, but if you somehow perceive it through your senses, it's going to just devastate you. Huff some of this stuff. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You're going to wander around the temple of Cthulhu or some other great elder (laughs) groping around trying to find the thing and take it out of the room. That's a really cool application for that. Bane Berry. It's an injury poison that takes effect after one round and for once a minute for five minutes. 1d3 strength damage, one con damage, and paralyzed for 1d3 rounds. The cure is two saves. That's crushing. The only thing that helps you here is that in combat, the once a minute just pretty much means once for the whole combat. That's crazy good. And I, I mentioned, and this will be a couple times, we'll probably see this often, that I said it's injury. It also can be ingested, but I just kind of was talking about what you probably use it for, which is the injury. The Breath of the Mantis God. This is an item created by the Red Mantis Assassins, a group of assassins in the Galarian universe. And it has this whole description of like, why do assassins do anything if important people can just be resurrected? Well, they make this poison so that once you die, it makes it much more difficult for a caster to resurrect you. It's pretty pricey. It's 1500 gold, typically because anti-resurrection abilities are late game abilities. If you are taking the Red Mantis Prestige class, there's some other ways that you can get resurrection defying abilities, but this is a way to do it without that. Catnip. And aside from the obvious reason Caleb's picking this, it actually is something very interesting because this sort of should be a drug, but it doesn't fit there either. Because this, it's ingested for 1d6 minutes, you get a plus one alchemical bonus on initiative checks and a plus two alchemical bonus on reflex saves. And then after that time, you're fatigued for 1d3 hours and take one wisdom damage. It's formatted very weird because it's similar to the format for drugs. It's very much blending drug and poison in a very strange way. Uh, I think it's interesting to have a positive effect poison with a weird downside afterwards where you're kind of taking the drugs from. We'll talk about drugs in a second. Very interesting and, and strange way to do that, especially because it's 1d6 minutes, you get the benefit, and then there's another 1d6 minutes that you get fatigued. So you could be one round, I get the bonus, and then one round, I get... I get the fatigue. It's only five gold, and it only works on felines, of course. I feel like you should have led with that one. This is not a generally applicable (laughs) 
poison or drug. But does it also, like, bring a bunch of cats to my house if I plant it in my garden? Like, will all the neighborhood cats just be, like, rampaging through my yard? We used to grow catnip in New York. <laughs> just watching a cat go absolutely ballistic is hilarious. Cytilish extract. You'll recognize that cytilish word from the stun vial I mentioned earlier. This is an ingested poison with a DC 18 fortitude save. Frequency is once an hour for eight hours, so this is going to keep ticking. The victim loses all memory of events that took place in the previous hour and can't form new memories for eight hours. Obviously, you're running a very specific type of campaign to include an effect such as memory erasure, but I think memory manipulation can be very interesting. You just have to be very careful with it. I was running something once. This was a construct of the story, and very early on, someone, like, triggered this, like, within the first hour of playing, and they completely forgot why they were in the adventure in the first place. They're like, how'd we get here? Who are you people? Like, we, they basically had to get reintroduced to all the other PCs. Deathblade, this is the closest to the quintessential poison from games. Once around for six rounds, you're going to take 1d3 con damage. You need two saves. The save is DC 20. Con damage is so good against your enemies. So good. Everwake Serum. This is pricey, 2,500 gold. You have to ingest it. It is a DC 16 fortitude save. Lasts for five days. You cannot voluntarily rest or sleep, preventing spellcasters who need to rest to regain or prepare spells from doing so. The cure is two consecutive saves. It's good that this is particularly effective against spellcasters because they're going to have a bad fortitude saving throw, so they're more likely to continue suffering from the effects of this. Although a spellcaster can just cast a sleep spell on themselves. Leopard's Bane. This stuff is crazy. The answer is one minute, it's ingested, but once around for six rounds... Listen to this craziness. Consuming the flowers of this plant weakens the walls of the imbiber's veins, causing them to rupture. You take 1d2 points of constitution drain and 1d4 points of bleed damage. Blood flows from your eyes, causing you to be blinded for the duration of the bleed effect. Ouch. Curious oof, two oof, saves. Ouchie. That's my, that's my vein hurting juice. It's expensive too. It might be our most expensive on our list at 4,500 gold. I th- it's definitely a really cool visual. It's really powerful. It's important to mention that I think particularly the alchemist, and there might be a couple magic items that allow you to turn types of poison into other types. So though leopard's bane is an ingested poison, there are methods for you to turn it into an injury poison. If you're going to be someone who cares about poisons, you're going to need like your staples, and I consider your giant wasp poison and your large scorpion poison to be your staples. They're not particularly expensive, they're not hard to make, and they are probably the most effective in terms of dc and effect at lower levels giant wasp poison costs 210 gold which is a little pricey but it's an injury poison with an dc 18 fortitude save once around for six rounds someone is going to take one d2 dex damage dex damage is quite effective you're going to be reducing their ac and if they are anyone that cares about range attacks or they're a finesse fighter, they're going to be taking penalties on attack rolls as well. Large scorpion poison is much the same thing, except with strength damage instead of dex damage. It's literally almost exactly the same, except the DC save is one less. And there is the reason why poisons are kind of expensive if they're effective. If poisons were good and cheap, there'd be no reason not to always be applying them to your weapons, and it would kind of become a some zero transaction because basically everyone's going to be slapping poison on their weapon. It's no longer something special. If you want to be good at poisons, you typically have to specialize in them. I've also tried to make poison builds. They're not particularly easy. They're a little bit feat intensive, or I should say, I don't know how to say this in one word, but you have to buy a lot of items, buy the poisons, and 
stuff to make it work. Po poisoning your weapon is an action, trying to reduce the action with special items, trying to make your poisons more effective. It's, it's actually a little bit more complicated than you would think. It's, it has a high burden of knowledge on it. You have to know specific feats. You have to know specific class features that exist, like for the alchemist or the guild poisoner prestige class. You have to know some of the items that we mentioned earlier, like that sheath that automatically poisons your sword. I know there is a magical item that allows you to combine alchemical weapons and combine poisons to duplicate their effects. There's a lot to it. You probably don't want to craft them. It's a bunch of stuff you're Nymph's lore. It's ingested. It's on set as 1d4 hours and then once an hour for 8 hours. You take 1d2 strength and wisdom damage. And long as you're affected with nymph's lore, your sweat exudes powerful pheromones that might attract wild creatures. You're easier to track by wild creatures. And when <laughs> I like this one. When rolling to determine whether the afflicted creature has a random encounter, roll twice. And if either roll would result in a random encounter, one occurs. Very rare that poisons have a meta reference. Is this... Is this the spray that attracts Pokemon from the Pokemon games? <laughs> yes. Do not go into a cave with this. You will be covered in Zubat. <laughs> Except now you can use it offensively. You can spray Gary with it. Red Tears might be an even better analog to your most typical video game poison. It's only 50 gold. DC 15 fortitude save for this injury poison. And once around for 10 rounds, they are going to take 1d6 points of damage. If you're immune to bleed effects, you're immune to this damage, and the cure is one save. So, kind of cheap, can be a pretty good effect if they continuously fail their fortitude save, and it's it's just straight damage. Snake oil. Onset at one round. Happens once a minute for five minutes. It's a contact poison on a failed save. Snake oil deals one point of non-lethal damage. However, on an unsuccessful save, the toxin heals 1d6 points of non-lethal damage. Good representation of the term snake oil. The fake thing. This thing's barely going to do anything to you, or it's actually going to help you. <laughs> this is You sell this to your player thinking they just got something like drow poison, and all of a sudden, what? I just got sold snake oil. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Starving nettle. Injury poison. Ticks once a day for eight days. You take 1d3 dex and con damage. In addition, each time you fail the save for the next 24 hours, you become nauseous anytime someone presents food to you and you cannot eat i like poisons that do things that aren't just oh you take con damage oh you take xy damage they the, a lot of these do very interesting things things that have non-combat usefulness or interesting role-playing opportunities sweet dream this poison is made of the i don't know who had a mind to disagree it's an inhaled poison on set with one round for once a minute for two minutes uh, sleep for one minute and forget events of 1d4 rounds prior to exposure. Save is one save. Secondary effect is sleep for 1d4 hours. If you travel the world in the seven seas, you could find it for sale for 900 gold. I used to listen to that song on repeat when I was younger. Who didn't? <laughs> Thanks for making me feel better about that. <laughs> Witch Hunter's Sword. 650 gold. It's an ingested poison. You take one int, one whiz, and one charisma damage. As long as the poison persists, the victim takes a minus five penalty on concentration checks. In addition, a creature suffering from Witch Hunter Sword poison must succeed at concentration check to cast any spell or use spell-like abilities. Very powerful to stop spellcasting creatures. Very aptly named. So last, we're going to talk about drugs. Kind of similar the way poisons work, but with some differences. I'm going to give you a quick primer on them. 
When you look at a drug, you'll see type, and this is how the drugs are introduced to the system. It's the same as poisons, contact, ingestion, inhalation, and injury. You'll see addiction. This is the severity of the addiction disease the drug causes followed by the DC of how to overcome it, the effect, which is generally the positive thing the drug does, and the damage, which is generally the negative effect the drug does. There's rules about addiction that we don't have to worry about too much now because we're going to talk more about what they are and how they work, and you can later on look up the difference between minor and moderate and severe addiction. Keep in mind, if you're a poison-based character, that through some weird twist of the rules, or just the way it was implemented, Drugs a lot of times make much more effective poisons than actual poisons. The DCs to save them are a lot higher. The effects are much more detrimental. And when you stab somebody with it, they might accidentally become addicted to the thing you poison them with. Christian, I would like to start out a discussion about drugs with a drug that doesn't follow everything I just talked about all night. Listed under drugs, but doesn't quite have the same format. This chalky paste, when placed under the tongue, then gives the imbiber a jolt of restless energy, eliminating the effect's fatigue for the next eight hours, but when the effect ends, you're exhausted. It makes you jittery and unable to focus, so you get a minus two penalty on all skill checks until it wears off. Another way to sort of deal with fatigue, which can be very crippling in your game. There's chaos strings. For D2 for minutes after taking this, your internal organs undulate and writhe away from forceful blows, negating 25% of critical hits or other sneak attack or precision-based damage, but you're going to take con damage. Okay, I guess if I'm taking a drug, maybe that feels good. I've never had my organs undulate. I, I don't know the non-comp implementation of why someone would use a <laughs> chaos string. Demon dust. an inhaled drug. For 3 D20 minutes, you get plus 1 D4 strength, dex, and con, and immunity to fear effects. That's cool. You also get, for 1d4 hours, hallucinations and erratic behavior, which will pose a minus 4 penalty on all wisdom and charisma-based skill checks, and you can't take 10 or 20 on checks. Uh, in combat, you must succeed in a will save at the beginning of your turn or become confused for one round, and you don't have any idea or memory of actions you took while under demon dust, the damage is 1d3 con and 1d3 wisdom. Ho 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 ho! This is a, I don't know how much I would use this for combat, but I would love to attack my players with this. And you have to be particularly wary of drugs that deal wisdom damage, because though it's not explicitly the case, you could argue that someone who is losing their wisdom is going to lose their resistance and inhibitions to take a drug. Without all the like negative parts about it, it'd actually be a, a cool drug. Anything that would allow you to trade certain stats or other stats is cool. You're trading your, your mental for your physical stats, but... All the other stuff makes it hard, uh, tough. For me, Dreamtime Tea might be the perfect implementation of drugs in Pathfinder. I think this is an incredibly well-designed drug. So you take Dreamtime Tea, you ingest it. 2d12 minutes later, you're going to become unconscious and you have vivid dreams. These vivid dreams act as the augury spell, so they tell you whether something you're going to do is good, bad, both, or neither, but it only has a 60% chance of giving you a meaningful reply. You're going to have them regardless, but 60% of the time, they're going to be absolutely meaningless answers. And you take 1d3 wisdom damage. Someone taking this, it's going to occasionally be accurate and beneficial, but it's like false positives. Like they don't know whether it's actually going to give them accurate answers. And then they're going to be taking wisdom damage the whole time. So they're more likely to believe in these hallucinations. Dwarven Fire Ale, we kind of mentioned earlier, it's kind of like the go-to ale that people mention, although it's technically a drug. When you drink it, for 1d4 rounds, you are under the effects of rage as per the spell. And you also gain Cold Resistance 5, but you take 1d2 con damage. 
I like this one because it's actually one I would consider using as a martial fighter. I might consider actually utilizing this if I'm a non-region class. Although I wonder if the, the detrimental effect should be a drain effect rather than a damage effect, because honestly, ability damage, kind of easy to get around. Harlot Sweets. These amber-colored lozenges instill the user with a slightly increased agility and enhance both physical beauty and speech. So named for the fact that prostitutes often abuse the drug. Once you take one of these, you get, for one hour, 1d4 charisma and 1 dex. Just straight to your stats, you're getting that bonus, but you're going to take 1d2 int damage. Another one like the Dwarven Fire Ale I would legitimately consider using as a martial character. Or maybe not even a martial character. Anyone that relies on charisma either. Honestly, sex is combat, so let's see. <laughs> I can see I could say that. Tori, break out your short sword. <laughs> I've never lost a match. <laughs> I've lost many. Lou Drops. This is a contact or injury poison, but specifically it needs to be dropped or injected into your eyes. For 2d6 minutes, you're going to be dazzled, but you can use sea invisibility and gain a plus 2 alchemical bonus on saves against patterns and other illusions that depend on sight. And a minus 2 penalty on saving throws against blindness. And after 2d6 minutes, you need to make a fortitude save or be blinded for 1d4 hours, and you take 1d2 wisdom damage. Interesting way to get uh, sea invisibility. You want your players to take drugs. They have to be tempting. They have to do something that's going to get them to do it. And so far, these have such interesting applications. Like, I would honestly consider it as a lot of characters. Mumia is an interesting one. You can either inhale it, ingest it, or hurt yourself with it. You get 1d8 temporary hit points. You get a bonus on saves against curses or disease or fatigue. Bad part being that if you are addicted for more than a week straight, you have a cumulative 5% chance of transforming into a ghoul every week you remain addicted. Otherwise, you're going to be taking 1d2 wisdom damage. That that would be a way for Dare to get kids to stop taking drugs. You literally will turn into the living dead <laughs> if you do not stop this. Because like I said, you could technically just get a wand of lesser restoration, take drugs, and not really even worried if you're addicted. This, if you're addicted, you cannot work around the fact that you are going to eventually transform into a zombie. What's about Numerian Fluid? This comes from the Iron Gods campaign where a spaceship hits the ground and there's fluid that comes out of this of these ships that people said, you know what, we can do this as a drug. Uh, I'm not going to go over exactly what it does because the interesting part about this is the side effects. It has an additional side effect if you get addicted and you roll on a table, which I think at this point we all figured out the kill likes the random effects, roll, on a, roll a D100, see what happens. And they can, there's a big... There's a wide range of effects from the drinker ages 2d10 years to for 1d4 hours, you're he the drinker's healed by a random energy type instead of harmed. The drinker gains fast healing 5 for a while. You gain telepathy for, for a range of 100 feet. You foresee your death in a cryptic and disjointed vision. The next time an effect would cause your death, you can take an extra standard action just before you die. By the way, that's amazing. That's great. That's you're not really preventing cool your death. But it's really cool to be able to do one last thing before it happens. That's amazing. That needs to be turned into something else. If you roll 100, you get an exceptional effect. Christian, there's 10. Let me tell you about a couple of them. Immortality. The drinker no longer takes penalties for aging and does not die from old age. So That one's, if your GM was a jerk, that would be immortality, but you still like physically age. So you're like, you're like an old Ooh, yeah. crippled person. Although it says you don't get the penalty, so I guess that wouldn't matter. Wings, three-dimensional touch, where you gain blind sense with a range of 60 feet. 
Phasing, you become incorporeal for 1d4 rounds as a swift action. Take a point of con damage when you want to. This is something you can do now. Really cool. Really cool. And I love the idea that it's random. I know it's like, when you have something that only happens one in a hundred times, it's very rare. Like, it's, don't even write it down because then what's the, what's the point of telling me this can exist when the chances of me getting it are so astronomically low? But when it does happen in your game, it creates such a memorable moment that you talk about that for years to come. Oh my goodness, do you remember when I drank the Numerian fluid and I rolled 100 and then I became immortal? That was amazing. <laughs> but be careful not to overuse effects like that. They kind of lose their allure when you're basically fishing for these things to happen i've seen gms who just kind of throw the deck of many things and effects like this just randomly into their game and it has diminishing returns i think that's why a lot of them like the knucklebone of fickle fortune we talked about in the main episode have half negative effects half good effects sort of discourage you do you really want to keep rolling on this because if you roll a one you die and you can't be resurrected you know what i mean for like for example if you roll a one in the numerian fluid your cellular structure breaks down and your flesh dissolves off your bones. You die in one round unless a limited wish, regeneration, or wish spell is administered. Or you take another sip of it in that one round and become immortal. <laughs> you just drink a gallon of it. <laughs> Roll on the table. Keep rolling. Numerian fluid is a very long entry. There's all sorts of rules uh, regarding it, but I just want to talk about that one portion of it. The next drug I'm talking about, Shiver, also has an element of randomness to it. It's 500 gold, so a little pricey. When you take it, yeah, roll 50%. You flip a coin. Either you are going to gain immunity to fear for 1d4 minutes, or you are going to fall asleep for 1d4 hours. I think that's a really interesting chance of either of those things happening. I wrote a backstory once for a character where he had, like, his drug buddies. They would do Shiver. When it made them fearless, they would go out and do dumb things. One time he fell asleep, the other person became fearless, went and got themselves killed with their fearlessness. And that kind of got <laughs> him to <laughs> stop taking drugs. Because the guy was a coin flip away to also jumping off this building with him. That's You can make some powerful moments with that. I, I eventually want to explore drug use in my game since... You know, my in games so affected. In just to specify in games. <laughs> I have less attraction to drugs than I have for alcohol. Uh, but because my family is so affected by it, it's ruined one of my family members' lives. Actually, I shouldn't say just one. My my whole one side of my whole family. You know, I wouldn't say their lives are ruined, but they're affected by drugs. And one person specifically, his life is ruined by drugs. And so I'm so I have that connection, but I'm so removed from that person that I can't identify or know exactly what they're going through. I would like to, to explore this one day. Don't do drugs, kids, is the message here, despite how cool they are. I, I don't have a message. I can't tell you not to do marijuana. I haven't tried it. <laughs> Maybe it's cool. Can, give me another 30 seconds, Christian. Go. I think alcohol should be treated like drugs. Ooh, yeah, you're going to think I was going to say it the other way. Huh? Mm, I don't think so. There's a hot take for you. I didn't need <laughs> 30 seconds. Zerk. Injury drug. For one hour, you get a plus one alchemical bonus on initiative. And if you're addicted, you gain a plus four, a plus one d four alchemical bonus to strength for as long as you're addicted, and you take one d two con damage. I've used this on several characters. Valerian was addicted to Zerk, and because of this drug, I had a character die. Uh, Christian was in a game of mine. I was in the game with Christian, a character. Her name was Guts. She died. It was because she had one d one d two con damage plus the damage from being addicted. That she didn't have the hit points to survive the final blow. This uh, is going to lead to what I want to say, kind of summing up the drugs here. That I don't like drugs. I think their drawbacks far outweigh their positives 
even if you're not addicted. And then if you are addicted, especially because their severity can go up all the way up to severe, uh, just there's just so much negatives and almost never, ever, ever balances out with the positives you get. I think drugs could be a viable thing if the negatives weren't so strong. If the ability, maybe the ability damage you wouldn't get unless you were addicted. There needs to be some sort of change in my humble opinion. But uh, is that the point of drugs? Are you asking drugs to have more of a benefit? Because that's... It's kind of the point of drugs, I feel. If they were just a benefit, why wouldn't everyone just take drugs? Well, because the point there should be enough of a benefit that you do want to take them. Here, just taking the drug, not even being addicted, just taking it is so damaging that the, the positive is nowhere near worth it. You think if marijuana also killed you in three minutes that you would ever freaking take marijuana again, right? When you take crystal meth is fantastic while you're using it. It's afterwards that it's a nightmare. I think the I think the the ability points or whatever damage that happens when you take drugs in the game should be removed and it should be all all the negatives should, from the addiction part of it. Unless it's it, without that, the only possible reason you'd ever take drugs in the game is not for mechanical. It's purely for uh, role playing. There's no reason anyone would ever take Zerp plus one initiative, but you uh, but you freaking take one d two con damage. Well, I think that's a particularly egregious example because it's a combat-based thing that's also damaging you in combat. A lot, like the ones I mentioned, they give you combat abilities but mental degradation. So it's two, it's two, it's two different aspects of the character being hit, whereas with Zerk, it is specifically only the combat portion being hit with the positive and the negative. I think there was very few that we listed here that were only pure role-playing. For those, I guess, fine, you can have the damages, but almost all of these here had combat implications, and the drawback was also bad for combat. They're all ability damage. But wisdom damage doesn't technically... Int damage doesn't hurt you during combat. Yeah, I guess, for certain characters. I don't know. I, 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 I stand with what I said, Christian. It's ironic because, like, religious characters and clerics are probably better at taking drugs because they can just cure themselves of the damage <laughs> and the affliction. <laughs> and I don't think there's anything on the moral standing of any of the DEDs in Pathfinder that say, you probably shouldn't do drugs. Right. I think I think there's a maybe a trope that people who want to divine with gods will be taking different kind of mind-altering drugs. I know whenever I pray, I go into my closet, I bust <laughs> out the needle, I'm good to go. Dear Heavenly Father, <sighs> <sighs> thank you for this food. The last drug on my list is Zug Mushrooms. When you eat these mushrooms, you gain immunity for 1d6 minutes to ingested or inhaled diseases or poisons, and immunity to the nauseated and sickened conditions. After the 1d6 minutes is up, you have to make a fortitude save or you vomit up all those mushrooms in your square. In <laughs> your square? I don't know why. That's funny. This residue is acidic and deals 1d4 points of acid damage to any creature that touches it. This residue evaporates after one minute. Also, you take one con damage. So what happens if I take the vomit capsule before the 1d6 minutes is up? Immunity to nauseated, sickened diseases and poisons is quite powerful. I think this is a pretty good trade-off. Yeah, I'm taking one con damage, but during this time, I don't need my constitution. I don't need my fortitude save because I'm immune to these things. Christian, that's our list. We're done. Oh, it feels good. It does. Although it was a lot of work, it took a long time to get through it. I'm glad I did. There's a lot of items that I learned about that I want to make like entire campaigns around. I want to make entire character and NPC ideas around these items. 
three hours and 15 minutes. I think it's officially our longest episodes, uh, even longer than the skills that we had to break down into two episodes because it was so long. Well, there has been more skills added over time into the game, but there has been <laughs> tons of items added. I wonder why that is. It's interesting that we get all these different things, but there's some stuff that's like, no, we will never add another skill. You have to wait for 2.0. Then well, we'll have acrobatics and athletics. Freaking no. The, the thing I was so happy that we didn't have anymore. But uh, yeah, this I'm, I agree with you. I feel the same way. It's really cool to have this list now. I, I've, I still keep coming back to this document. I hope you guys all find it useful as well. And uh, I look forward to not having to do a huge episode like this again. Wait, Christian, what's that on the horizon? What is do that? You- oh, no. It looks like a new playtest book. No, <laughs> no, no. Look beyond it. Look past it. Do you see that thing there? That episode in the 300 series? Episode 306? Useful feats and traits. Oh, no. <laughs> Caleb, oh, my, com- no! <laughs> my computer doesn't have that much memory. I can't store <laughs> that audio. <laughs> Even though it's listed as 306, uh, boy, am I going to wait some time to write those notes. <laughs> yes, that'll be another episode that I think will be structured similar to this episode. Help you guys go through that huge list of feats and traits. But guess what, Christian? Good news. The number of feats and traits... It's much shorter than the numbers of magic items and gear. Yeah, I don't think any feat is going to be like the artifacts we encounter or the Numerian fluid where it's going to have like a multi-paragraph description. Most of them are pretty well condensed. Yes. <sighs> well, I'm happy we did this episode. I'm happy you guys stood through here and listened. Please send us messages, emails, letting us know some items that we left out that you thought were interesting. A lot of the items I've actually had... I've seen some people mention or items that we did come across, but we just decided not to add because we didn't want the episode to be longer than three hours and 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really cool to hear, see some of them that didn't, that I didn't even think of. Some people were like, how could you not have included this? I'm like, I don't know how I didn't include that. It's pretty cool. So please let us know what you think. In the comments below, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button, hit the <laughs> bell. Thank you all for listening and class is dismissed. Bye, Felicia. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening.